Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sam Legasic. And I'm Dreadful Dan Gallagher. And we're two old buddies that have lived our life at the edge of the mainstream. So come join us where things are a little odd. This is the Jones. Hello, how are you? Yes, very good, thank you. Um, and there's a reason why Rod is here today. He's not just, you know, um, wandered in, uh, because today <laughs> we are going to be talking about Idlewild's album, 100 Broken Windows. So, Rod, um, me and Dan are always banging on about Idlewild. They're one of our favourite bands um, of all time, and specifically uh, 100 Broken Windows is often on our uh, you know, top albums um, of all time. And um, so we're big fans. And, yeah, it would be great to know, like, how did Idlewild get started? What, what are the roots? Um, well, uh, yeah, we, we, I guess we, we all had moved to university for the same reason a lot of people do, I guess, not really to study so much as just to move away from home and do something different for a bit. Um, and I think, you know, we were, we were at a party, I believe. So my, um, flatmates, um, one of them, uh, her boyfriend was, was Colin. Um, <laughs> and we, we had a party, um, and we were both wearing the same pavement t-shirt, um, with fried eggs on the front. Um, and so we got chatting, uh, sunny side up, 
T-shirt. Uh, and so, yeah, we just got chatting and talking about bands that we liked. And um, I can't remember what. Colin was studying biology or something, I think. Um, right. And I was studying design. Uh, uh, neither of us were really interested in that, I don't think. Um, so we were just, you know, we were talking about, oh, like, we should form a band. We like loads of cool music that we both like together. So um, he played the drums. I had a guitar and I'd sort of tried to learn it a bit. Um, and so we're like, yeah, let's form a band. Uh, and I think at the same party in another room, uh, while I was talking to someone else, I think Colin met Roddy and they had a similar conversation. And Roddy was like, I'm a drummer. And Colin was like, well, I'm a drummer. And we've already formed a band. Um, <laughs> so then, then Roddy became a singer. Five minutes. Five minutes ago, we just formed a band. <laughs> yeah. So pretty. Well, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there's some consternation or argument as to who formed the band first, but um, right. I think it was in that order. I might be wrong. To be honest, it's not that important. But um, yeah. So essentially, we Roddy's like, I'll have a go at singing. So um, so then we yeah. I think I formed about seven bands that week already. Um, none of which obviously came to much. Um, and then. We just thought, I think we just sort of got to know each other. We were sort of tentatively, you know, like testing each other out and listening to music together. And um, I think we booked a rehearsal um, at a, a practice room with a hole in the roof um, in the middle of, I think it was pretty cold. Uh, I seem to remember it was raining um, and there was rain coming through the hole in the roof um, uh, near Easter Road Stadium, the Hibs Stadium in Edinburgh. Um and yeah, I mean, none of us could really play. I, my, my best friend from home had a bass and was going to be the bass player, but then he forgot it. So his friend who had a bass, rather than borrowing the bass of his friend, he just sent his friend instead, um, who was Phil, who was our first bass player, who arrived with a, a semi-acoustic bass in a rucksack on rollerblades. Um, which was, we were like, wow, who's this guy? Yeah, who's this guy? <laughs> uh, in a like biker jacket and sort of spiky hair looking like Sid Vicious on rollerblades with a semi-acoustic bass and a, and a backpack. <laughs> it was an unusual look. but uh, So we all got in a room and had no idea what we were doing um, and just started making a noise, really. Um, uh, yeah, and I think at that point, yeah, we were definitely more akin to sort of a, to sort of noisy... Um, Sonic Youth record without the melody. <laughs> right, okay. That came uh, later, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that sort of, I, I think, like, obviously I think the bands that we all liked, that we had in common from the sort of post-rock bands to the to the kind of more sort of, I suppose, melodic bands, like bands like R.E.M., we're, we're, we were all fans of, I think, but also we were all fans of people like Sonic Youth or Black Flag and those kind of bands. So that we, we obviously, we couldn't really play melodic music particularly well at that point or keeping time with each other. So we just all made a noise nice. um, and Roddy would shout a bit. Uh, and then we were like, okay, this feels like a band. Um, <laughs> we're playing music. This, this is, we're doing stuff. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of started really. Um, and, and quite quickly, I think we booked a gig. Um, we're just, sort of, we, we, I, I would write sort of songs, of, not write songs, but I'd write sort of riffs and record them on an old Alba um, cassette deck. Um, and there were a poster cassette through Roddy's door. He was in the next block long from us in the, the Napier University flats. And then he would listen to them all and like certain ones, you'd be like, yeah, I can put something on that. Um, and then we'd go into a rehearsal room and I would play over that and he would shout over it. And then Colin would drum along and Phil would sort of play the note that he knew on the bass. 
um, at the time. <laughs> and that was kind of how it started, I guess. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, bands like Sugar as well, that were very melodic, you know. Um, I was a big Bob Mould fan, what he was as well, and like Husker Do. And those, those bands that, you know, they were kind of punk bands essentially, but they had melody. Um, and so that was kind of our origins, I suppose, is that sort of chaotic melody. Um, and and I suppose in a way that's kind of what I always liked about R.E.M. and, and, and Sonic Youth were that, that the guitar players in both bands, you know, were never, you know, they, they were never Eddie Van Halen or like that kind of guitar player, you know, they were very much had their own style that was probably born of not being able to, you know, not being classically trained on it or not being able to play it that way when they started. And so it was always based around hooks, I suppose, and that, that was something that heavily influenced us early on, I think. Um, and even listening back to those early songs, they're all quite sort of catchy. You know? Yeah. And they're not, they're not necessarily that accomplished, the early ones, but they are quite catchy. And that was something that I think, you know, people said, well, you know, when, we, when, when we'd made records like the remote part, that we'd sort of gone, turned more, I suppose, popular almost, or pop even, and, and, and embraced melody. But I think it was always there. Um, we just covered it with a lot more noise early on because we couldn't really play. Um, so, and I mean, in the early rehearsals, that was very much the, that that sort of pendulum swung much more towards noise than melody. What um, kind of um, what songs came out of those like early days? Um, I mean, the very early days, none that really made it onto the early records. That uh, I mean, in that first rehearsal room, there were lots of songs that I, I suppose akin to things like um, "Low Light" and "You Just Have to Be Who You Are." That was kind of our formula. Was like a bit of a a bit of a quiet riff and then a, a racket and some shouting, um, and that a lot of our songs went that way early on. Um, there was some throwing of shoes and um, shouting in guitars rather than playing them, uh, and that that was very much the formula, really. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> um, works. <laughs> Uh, and sort of Colin hitting things as hard as he could. Um, so, and, and Phil, I think, just trying to keep keep up, really, at that point. I mean, Phil Phil really didn't really know how to play the bass at the beginning. Um, right. And, uh, you know, as the band progressed, I think, as we started to learn more, and I, I think Phil wasn't necessarily as interested in the band as we were at that point or, or in learning the bass anyway, um, which is why eventually we sort of changed bass players later on. But I mean, in those, in those early days, yeah, it was really about just, um, yeah, I suppose covering our frailties with noise a little bit more than anything, but, but also we, yeah, we were still trying to write hooks, I think all the time. And, mm. and, and like, I think not just musically, but lyrically, I think a lot of the, lyrical content but then was more how the words sounded you know mm. um it was very much about um you know them being hooky um, yeah definitely so yeah i think I, we, we then realized having sort of traveled on on the bus to this leaky rehearsal room across town every week and then gone for like a we'd go for a bowl of soup in the in the a bar next door to warm up um we realized that there was a rehearsal room literally across the road from the the flat we were all living in that we thought was like a hi-fi shop. Um, and so we started rehearsing there, which we, we immediately things started to progress a bit because we could hear each other uh, and we weren't getting freezing cold and wearing gloves while playing the guitar. Um, so things definitely got better at that point. Um, and that was when I suppose we started to write, we started to sort of embrace the kind of, you know, how fast can we play 
almost, yeah. you know. And, um, I, I suppose with Bob joining the band as well, um, who who we'd met um, at a party. Bob had just been reciting Iron Maiden lyrics standing on an armchair um, as if they were kind of spoken word poetry, uh, which was definitely my first memory of Bob, I think. Brilliant. Um, and he was a guitar player, probably a much better guitar player than I was. Um, but we already had one, so and we needed a bass player. I think Phil had, was more interested in finishing his degree, and um, you know he's now a very successful chemical engineer in California. Um, so uh, Bob joined the band as the bass player, but and, and because he was a great guitar player, his bass parts were really melodic and tuneful. Um, you know, it, certainly when we were in a rehearsal room or in a, uh, you know, in a studio, sometimes at gigs they were slightly more chaotic. Yeah, um, there was a lot more headbutting of the bass sometimes, but uh, <laughs> that was part of his thing. You know, and it was incredible to watch. I think from the crowd. So, but yeah, those early days, it was really about me and Bob trying to chase each other up and down the neck. Really, like how fast can we play, or how you know, how sort of noodly can we be. Without, without trying to be Eddie Van Halen. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and so there were a lot of songs like Chandelier and, and I Want to Be a Writer, the first Fierce Panda single that came out of that, those days, I suppose. Um, and I think, you know, I remember we were writing I Want to Be a Writer. We were sort of jamming it out in the rehearsal room and then this knock on the door and uh, a bunch of the guys from The Exploited were standing outside and said, can we come in and listen? And they stood in the corner of this tiny room. I mean... It was like a sort of a small double bedroom sized practice room. Uh, and we were, yeah, so we just sort of sat there while these guys, we were all a bit terrified of, stood in the corner. Um, I don't think we knew who they were at the time. Um, uh, so, that, yeah, I think that the, the, in those days, definitely that was, you know, we went through that era of being, you know, how fast can we play? How many, how many riffs can we fit in a song? Um, uh, uh, and it, even even then, I suppose it was still fairly catchy. But you know, it was it was almost, I suppose, just trying to prove that we could get better almost at playing um, before we kind of realised that actually what was good about the band was that the the melodics of it, and there was a sort of a chemistry there between the melodics and the vocal, which worked really really well. Yeah, um, and that that maybe was what was special about the band, and I think that's what we sort of realised that quite early on. I think even. You know, even on Hope is Important, maybe even on Captain, even on certain songs, you know, and I think that was what we, we ended up veering more towards that, definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's always one of the things that, um, you know, I really enjoy um, about, you know, your music is that, that yeah, the, the melody for sure, and definitely between, you know, what you're doing and what Roddy's doing as well, um, it's, it's, it just feels very unique um, and also like, quite addictive if that makes sense there's a like there's a unique chemistry you get with a band when it's not one person writing on their own you know and i think that's it's almost easier to be different when you're doing that you know it's a a singer songwriter it's quite difficult to be unique you know because you are gonna you're gonna draw on your references and your, your musical taste and when you've got a like a bunch of people writing together or two people writing together you've 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 got a unique blend of two different musical styles and tastes and it already is going to sound unique and i think there was definitely a chemistry there that worked we recognized quite early on um and it's like it's a really you know i don't i don't think we thought about it at the time and it's not until much later in life that you sort of look back at it and think about how kind of personal a relationship that is because it's a conversation you know but it's a very open vulnerable conversation to have with someone 
writing a song with them. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it's a very close relationship that you have in a very unusual way. Um, it's not, you know, one way you tell each other everything in a normal way. Yeah. You do it in a very metaphorical, <laughs> musical <laughs> way. Um, and, and that, you know, there are very strong bonds between us because of that, you know, like, and, and, you know, we'd all drive each other mad all the time. You know, we've been together for 26 years now, of course, you know, like brothers and sisters or family or, you know, you're always going to drive each other mad, especially the amount of time we've spent together. We're all uniquely frustrating people in different ways. Um, but you do have that under underwritten sort of unspoken bond of, I suppose, like being able to be that vulnerable in front of each other, you know? Mm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it always, I mean, I, I always make this comparison and you might shoot me down for it, but like, I always think of the relationship um, that you and Roddy had, like, and not in a personal way in terms of um, music, um, mm-hmm. like uh, Morrissey and Johnny Marr, like in the Smiths, if you know what I mean, like you're both doing, um, it feels like sometimes you're both doing separate things, but they just blend together so I well. think because they were always written that way almost mm. I think you know Roddy would be writing words all the time I'd be writing books all the time and then we kind of smash them together so yeah they probably were you know it was a bit like I've got this idea and I've got this idea and actually these ones work together quite well mm. <laughs> you know it was that was very much how we wrote back then you know and and then it would be like let's get in a rehearsal room and jam it out with everybody and and see how it goes uh, and, and that, yeah, there, there probably was that bit. There was just a chemistry there that worked. Um, and that was, you know, that, I think that's how most good bands are, you know, mm-hmm. when you've got two writers like that. And, you know, bands like R.E.M. were like that. You know, I suppose it's almost sort of three, really, there, because Mike Mills, obviously, as well. Um, right, again, you know, Bob was a very melodic bass player in the same way, yeah. and, you know, we get involved in that as well. So I think, yeah, it was just... A sort of perfect storm in that way, I suppose, for us. And that, that it came very easily. We would, and we still do when we get together to write ideas. You know, it will be, we'll sit down with an acoustic and, and vocal or a guitar or electric and a vocal or, and, and we'll write probably 10, 15 ideas in a day. Um, you know, they're all kind of sketches. Um, we won't spend like three hours or four hours or a whole day on one idea and trying to make a song or a perfect demo of it. You know, we'll just, we'll kind of brainstorm ideas like that and, uh, you know, sometimes nonsensical, but more often than not by the end of the, like, you know, when we listen back to them, there's probably, you know, four, you know, three or four ideas each day that are worth pursuing, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I think when we were writing Warnings Promises, that that we were doing that as a sort of a band in a a room for like a few weeks and up in the Highlands. And there were about 70 demos you know, by the time oh, we got to like, we need to figure out what was going on the record. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, and we, we had to bring Dave up, uh, Dave Enger up to listen to some of them because we were just like, we can't tell anymore. Um, so we were always kind of prolific in that way. A lot of it was rubbish. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> you know, I, or, but a lot of them had bits, you know, that you know, we might go back to two albums later. And like, oh, I remember there was that thing that was had a really great verse or mm. it was a really great chorus, but we couldn't quite, figure out how to finish it back then and like well, I wonder if that would work here mm. um, so there's there's this wealth of like unused material floating about somewhere um, on, on mini discs and dats and cassettes and um, you know hard drives 
um, probably a lot of them lost. Somewhere. I was going to say, <laughs> but, uh, don't lose those. You're... Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of them have been, I think. I mean, some, you inherently end up repeating it anyway in your own brain. But, like, uh, you know, there's loads. There are loads of these bits and fragments of ideas of songs um, floating about places. Um, and, and we do occasionally, you know, like a few albums later or two albums later, we'll go back to something that we were working on and think, well, that was a really, that always is stuck in, the, in our minds, you know, that there was a really good chorus there or a really good hook that we never finished. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an odd process. And we've tried lots of processes over the years, but certainly in those days, that was very much kind of the way it would, would start. Mm. And sometimes, how is? I mean, sometimes even the rest of us, like jamming musically in the room when Roddy was away, and then he would come in with some lyrics and we'd have done like 15 ideas and be like, I like these three. I've got some words that will work with those. Um, and, and we were quite often working that way. Brilliant. Um, yeah, I was going to say like, not that, you know, you can speak on behalf of Roddy, but just generally speaking, what, how did Roddy go about writing lyrics? As, as you said there, like does he kind of go off and he's already, you know, he's pre-written, um, you know, lyrics or poetry or whatever. And then he, he brings those in. Does he come with melodies already pre-formed? I think it changes a lot of the time. And right. like, I think, uh, you know, nowadays he can play a bit of guitar and he can, back then he didn't really play anything. So, you know, it was, it was very much kind of fragments and, and lines and he was always writing stuff, you know, whether it was, you know, a couple of lines or a verse or a, or a chorus idea or, um, and then it was very much about attaching those to a hook and then kind of building out from there, I think, you know, so, um, nowadays I think it's a bit more fully, you know, sometimes a bit more fully formed before there's music attached to it, uh, or sometimes he's, he's, you know, with his own stuff, I think he writes, you know, just an acoustic guitar and sings along and, uh, and writes in that way. So it, it, it varied, but like certainly in those days it would, it, sort of the book would come out and there would be a line here and a line there and it would get, that would kind of catch, you know, um, you know, we'd have like a, a little scourge or rosability or something and yeah. that, that line would attach and it would have various ideas that had come from places he'd been or things he'd seen. And, you know, I think we realized quite early on, certainly when we were writing the remote part, I didn't know the Brooklyn Windows, I suppose, that the that place and where we were and what we were doing was having a big effect on what we were writing, um, musically and lyrically. So, you know, we quite often decamp up to the Highlands to, to write um, in groups, sometimes a few of us or two of us, sometimes all of us. Um, and we would be much more kind of prolific in that environment. Um, certainly in the early days, yeah, the early days, like the first sort of couple of records, a lot of it was, you know, cassette ideas and, and fragmented lyrics that would get, kind of put together um and then we would kind of figure out i think the meaning would kind of figure itself out almost sometimes okay yeah leading up to like 100 broken windows um like we've discussed uh captain before um on on the show and um uh yeah it would be good like how do you feel about like captain looking back at it and um and also like hope is important um because, you know, for us, like, so I should say that um, Hope is Important is where I first heard you guys. Um, uh-huh. And I believe, like, um, Film for the Future was one of the first tracks that we, that my band played live as a, as a cover. Um, and it was, you know, when, when we heard this, it felt very, um, like, now if you know what i mean it felt very like us this is like exactly what you wanted to hear like post nirvana 
Um, you know, you guys were British as well. Um, and, and all this, it was just like, this feels, this is like the perfect thing that we want to hear at this one time. Like, what do you remember about that kind of captain slash hope is important era? Like what was happening during that time? I mean, captain was probably one of the easiest things for us to write because we'd been doing it since we formed the band. You know, it was like fragments or bits of songs that we'd been writing as we were kind of, you know, I suppose before we'd been signed, you know, and, and um, there wasn't necessarily any pressure on us at that point, you know. So it was, these were all songs that we had lying around almost by that point, you know. Um, I remember, you know, I think we were, we were due, we, we'd been and played a gig in London or a couple of gigs in London, but one of them, Bruce, our manager, who worked at Deceptive Records at the time, had come down and Steve Lamack had come down as well. Um, and had written a review in Music Week about the, the gig, which, you know, things sort of exploded after that. The phone kept ringing, you know. <laughs> um, I remember Bruce, um, you know, chatting to us for ages and talking about, you know, how you know, they'd like us to do something with Deceptive. And we'd met with him and Tony Smith, who was, who was running Deceptive at the time. And, uh, you know, they had Elastica and uh, Ben Scarfo at the time. Um, and we were like, this sounds amazing. You know, this is great. And, and they'd, we'd, we'd talked to Simon Williams about, you know, Fierce Panda single, which was Chandelier and I Want to Be a Writer. And so they kind of cobbled together money for us to go down and do those eight songs together like in one session um with paul tipler um we'd never really other than like a sort of demo studio at edinburgh airport <laughs> we'd never really been in a proper studio before you know so uh, well we actually we've been in chamber studios to do the first single um uh, queen of the trouble teens um uh, but you know again that one we really didn't know what we were doing at all you know we didn't know how to play properly like uh, uh, you know it was definitely Captain and, and that record, we were still learning how to play, let alone how to be in a studio. I mean, we we didn't really have a sound like a, I don't have a guitar sound much. You know, it was very much like I've got ideas of riffs, but it wasn't. You know, we weren't fully formed sonically at all. So you know, we were going down. We went. We were supposed to play. I think a thing called In the City. It was like a like a showcase festival almost. We, we didn't realise it was a competition. It was in Glasgow that year. Um, and we'd played our gig at it and a bunch of A&R guys had come and we were due to go the next morning to London um, on the train and we were going to start recording the next day. Um, and I think we had like five days to record the eight songs in a sort of fairly run-down studio in South London um, called River Studios. Um, and uh, we we suddenly got told we were in the final. Uh, we didn't realise there was a final. <laughs> and, uh, the final apparently had a cash prize and the label were like, that would really help, you know, with the recording and getting it. So like, what we'll do is we'll book you a different train. And, you know, we were already on a tight budget, but like they took a risk and, but because we were, we were kind of being told like, you guys have got it won, you know, like you just need to turn up for the final. Of course, we then stayed out all night and got absolutely hammered. And then go back to Edinburgh to go to bed, and like I think I slept in an armchair in the Hilton lobby. Um, was actually we got really drunk with our what, who became our future A and R man, and food, uh, Matthew. Uh, so yeah, we got me and Bob stayed up all night and got really really drunk, and the gig was terrible. And, and they were like, it was so bad that I think even though we were 
they'd kind of decided we'd won already. They were like, no, you, you we can't. <laughs> that was just awful. Um, so it was kind of a, yeah, I think that, that wasn't the best start to the whole process, but, you know. Um, but then, no, so we went down to London and we, we stayed in this crazy little hotel uh, uh, in, in South London, uh, somewhere in, somewhere in a fairly rough area of London, I can't remember where, but um, four beds, like sort of facing a shower with a clear glass, a clear glass door. <laughs> it was, a, it was okay. an, interesting, yeah. an interesting week. Um, <laughs> it certainly would have uh, brought you closer, I imagine, something like that. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, so I mean, that it was a bit of a blur, that whole thing. You know, it was the first time we'd met Paul. We'd, we'd never really been in the studio for more than an afternoon or a day, you know. Um, uh I think when we did our first single, we spent a day, you know, doing the three songs. So this was like a new experience to us. Um, and, uh, you know, I think at the time we thought, oh, this is amazing. You know, like, I mean, I listen back to it now and I'm like, oh my God, this is awful. Oh, really? <laughs> um, but, but, you know, it was very much of the time, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's very sort of, I remember sort of listening to it, not, well, fairly recently when we, because they just finally released it on vinyl again. Mm. Um, and the master came in, and I was, I was like, so thin, <laughs> and everything's so high pitched. Uh, you know, Roddy's voice is so high pitched, and uh, all the guitars are really sort of like a bee in a can. You know, it was. Uh, I remember yeah. that, that's just what we sounded like at that point in time. You know, uh, it was it was chaotic, um, and, and there is definitely a, there's a charm there, and there's an energy there that you know it's always, you know, what I suppose you get when you're making that first record. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think even going in into Hope is important, you know, we were we were still really learning what we'd done. We'd, we'd at least been on tour for a bit then. We got better at playing together. Right. We were a bit tighter and we'd written, I suppose, some more um, together kind of songs, I suppose. And, and we'd, we'd started to learn about how to put melodies together a bit more and we were, you know, it's not a perfect record at all. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's still, a, it's still listening back. I, you know, it's like looking at a photograph of yourself when you're 18. Nobody yeah. wants to do that, you know. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, we, we 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 were doing it on a sort of a, I think probably a sort of shoestring budget and very quickly, and not really understanding what we were doing. Still, um, uh, we we weren't really you know, exploring the studio much in those days. It was very much like, let play it right. Yeah. That was kind of the, the extent of it, really. Um, so it, it wasn't until 100 Book and Windows that we kind of had an experience of like, okay, we're going to spend time on arrangements and, and making it sound better and guitar sounds and all of these things and, and really delving a bit deeper, you know. And, and obviously we had the luxury of that a bit more because there was a bit more money involved in making that record and a bit more, we were afforded a bit more time. And um, so, yeah, it was, it, it, it was a real learning curve. Those days were, they were a bit of a blur as well because we were on tour pretty relentlessly um, and then having to write a record in the gaps between and then go into the studio and record it. So um, I don't remember an awful lot about it, honestly, other than... Um, you sort of have fragments of. I, I remember bits and pieces in the studio and being in, in Dublin and in, in Chapel Studio in Lincolnshire, um, and and it just being for us. I think I, I we probably for me it seemed like we were in there for ages, but it was probably about two weeks, you know. But it, it, it 
to us, it felt like oh, we've got all this time, and we were doing all this, we we're doing these B, all these B sides, like Mint Shower Cap, which were this, this indulgent trilogy of like sort of ridiculous songs. <laughs> um, because uh, so, Bob had had a dream about a shower cap full of mints. <laughs> really, um, that's right. And, and, and you know, and we were like, well, and so, and we'd all sort of swap instruments or do little. You know, I think the first one was kind of almost inspired by sort of early Beastie Boys, and then the second one we were kind of trying it using synths and things and then i think this, by the time we got to the third one we were like we don't really know what to do let's buy a load of toys and make noises with them um so i but to us that was like indulgent you know that was like yeah. spending you know a year in a studio in la to us at that point you know because we'd never had that experience before so um it was exciting it was an incredibly exciting time you know um and i suppose each time we did a record it got that that experience got bigger you know, there was there was more time, and there was nicer studios. Um, you know, and getting to work with lots of other people, and and the experience. Was, yeah, it was it was incredibly exciting. Yeah, I bet. So, when you look back on Hope, it's important. Are there any um, are there any songs that still stand out that you you know that are your favourites, or any that you know you cringe? I know you're saying it's like looking at a photo of when you're younger. Oh, there's definitely. But... I mean, there's definitely ones where I cringe. I mean. <laughs> I mean, there are those on all of the records, to be honest. But uh, um, I mean, I guess uh, "Film for the Future" is one that's always kind of stuck um, because it, it, it it's just a good riff, I guess, and it's fun to play. It's always been a bit of a fan favorite, um, and and as we've we've managed to reimagine it quite well, you know, we've reimagined quite most of the songs over the years. Um, that's one of the ones where the reimagining has kind of, I think, made it better. And I think actually it's gone down that way. You know, some some people would disagree with some of the reimaginings of some of the songs. Um, and obviously when I argue with Shapes, I mean, it's a fan favourite. I think, yeah. you know, we've reimagined that a few times and I think that's one of the ones that maybe hasn't gone down as well when we've reimagined it. But uh, yeah, that... that there are definitely songs on that record which I, I kind of forgot about, you know, things like, I suppose, like Close the Door. I, I can't really remember how that goes. Yeah. But it's not one that we rely on heavily in the set, you know. That's fair enough. Um, I think, uh, and maybe you've lost your way, I think it was just, that was a sort of a hark back to the kind of, I want to be a writer days, I think, of like, how fast can we play? Yeah. Um, uh, whereas I suppose we were starting, like, when I argue, I suppose, was us trying to really, that was really us embracing the kind of melodic nature of the band and 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 song structure, really. Mm. You know, that was kind of I suppose one of the first songs we wrote that had a, a sort of a song structure that we used to kind of go back to quite a lot. You know, this kind of idea of a, a verse into a bridge into a chorus and then a, a middle section and, and and to us that was like, whoa, this is complicated. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> uh, you know, it's not just a riff, um, <laughs> and that and that sort of became you know, sort of a working template for us almost that song. I think that probably was a quite a crucial song in the band's development in that way. Right. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of songs on that record that, that, have, that I've kind of forgotten about, honestly, like, cause we don't play them a lot anymore or, mm. um, but yeah, I think certainly those two are the ones that have stood the test of time better yeah. than the rest. Maybe. Um, I mean, I'm happy to be here tonight. We, we used to play, sort of stripped back occasionally. Yeah. Um, that gigs always went down quite well. That that's, has a bit of a, 
a, a soft spot, I think, for a lot of people. But yeah, um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say Film for the Future and When I Argue are the ones that, yeah, that, that have, have probably stuck with us the most over the years. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, like, you know, I, I feel the same way, basically. I think, yeah, like for me, when I listen back to it, having kind of what you said, right, which is like playing as fast as you can, you've got that, there's still that youthful, like, energy and buzz. Um, and also like, you know, the, the melodies and all this stuff. And it's, yeah, that's why it's always like, I, even when I listen back to it, um, it still feels exciting. I still get that, you know, nostalgia for like, you know what I mean? Like how this was, um, at the time when I first heard it. And especially with like, um, you know, when I argue, I, I'd never quite heard anything like that before in the way that, you know, um, you know, during the chorus and all this, where the vocals are all doing their own thing and everything. And it felt like, um, this kind of leads on to my next question. It felt like, um, something new. And I guess like for me, um, this was kind of part of what became like, um, art rock, which I guess like with Sonic Youth and stuff had always been there, but how did you guys see yourself? Did you see, uh, yourself fitting into a specific type of genre? Did you care? Um, were you looking around at any contemporaries at the time thinking, you know, we're part of, you know, some kind of movement or anything like that? I don't, I think we were never really part of a movement. You know, mm. I think we were, you, th- that was the enemy's thing at the time, wasn't it? To put you in a movement. Yeah. Like you were either Britpop or Bratpop or <laughs> yeah. like New Rave or like whatever it was. And I think they tried to shoe us into the Bratpop movement for a while, you know, with various other bands around at the time. But it, I think we, we kind of shunned against that a little bit and, and, and never really fitted in to that. And, uh, and because we were an Edinburgh band and not a Glasgow band, Edinburgh didn't have a great music scene. There was sort of like a little underground scene that kind of was was taking off a little bit, but not in the way that the Glasgow music scene was. So we always managed to kind of stay out on our own a little bit, yeah. Um, which I think was good for us, you know. And I suppose we were just pulling on a lot of different influences from bands like, yeah, like I say, like from Sonic Youth and, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, bands like Black Flag and Black, Black Fugazi. Um, and and then you know REM, you know teenage fan club bands like that that were really melodic, you know. So there was there was sort of those two sides to the band. There was the side that just loved to like get on the floor and scream and whack things, you know, <laughs> make a, a racket. And then there was the side that really really liked sort of counter harmony and like melody. Yeah. Um, and there was a sort of sweet spot in the middle where that I think probably Hundred Broken Windows was the first time that 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 you could kind of hear that properly or that it was delivered in a way that, that was, had some equilibrium, you know, that hope's important still had, you know, we were still trying to play. I mean, even, I mean, now I listen back to even the remote part and think, I can't believe how fast everything is, Um, you know, uh, but even, I mean, hope is important. Everything's at breakneck speed. You yeah. Know? And, and, yeah. Uh, it, you sort of lose some of the, I suppose what we thought at the time was like sort of this is a really you know melodic pop song, but it's actually insanely fast sort of noisy buzz or punk rock, you know. So uh, yeah, there were, I think the pointers were there for what we were, what, the way we were always going. It was just that we didn't really know how to deliver that, yeah. um, you know. And there, there was definitely that thing of like yeah, you know, not being accomplished players, and so we would just do it faster or noisier um and that was kind of our thing and and and, and you just, like just useful enthusiasm <laughs> it wasn't anything else you know certainly yeah. the gigs you know we would just 
you would just kind of forget what you were doing. Um, and, 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 and you would kind of, I suppose by the time we got to the end of that record of, of Hope is Important and Into Hundred Broken Windows onwards, it's, the, the crowds were kind of starting to get fairly boisterous <laughs> and, and we were starting to get a reputation for that to some extent. So you would kind of feed off that, you know, I think we were feeding off each other at that time and that would kind of egg you on, you know. So uh, I, think, I think quite often the label boss would come up, come up to us after a London gig and be like, you need to sort of concentrate more on playing than throwing yourself around. Uh, <laughs> <we're> like, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shut up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it was a, again, yeah, it was, it was us sort of learning our craft a bit and experimenting a bit with, was it okay for I mean we you know we were like indie snobs like the next person and you know, we were I suppose we were almost slightly afraid of being a pop band you know we wanted to be a cool you know I wanted to be in Sonic Youth you know yeah. I didn't want to be in I don't know REM back then you know mm-hmm. I loved REM but I, I was more like I wanted to be in sort of cool scuzzy kind of weird art rock band um and we were maybe a little afraid of that at the time Honestly, right. I think yeah. Hundred Broken Windows. We found this kind of yeah. There, there was a sweet spot suddenly where, um, in amongst the band, and I think with also with Dave when he got involved, he pulled that out of us mm. a bit. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that as well. It, did, it definitely felt like that um, at the time. So yeah, moving on to like Hundred Broken Windows. Um, did you go in? With a plan, <laughs> did you know what you were going to do? Um, did you have the songs sorted already? What? How did that kind of come about? We had some of the songs, and um, well, we actually started it twice. Okay. Yeah, I mean, was it twice? Yeah, I think so. Um, we we did this on 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 a few records. I think that we were we we we'd have an idea of what we wanted to do, um, and then we'd go and do that, and then then we'd go and start it again. <laughs> and quite often that, that first idea was a really good learning curve or a really kind of in, important thing for us to have done. Yeah. You know, so on remote part, that was like working with Lenny Kay and, um, and, and in Stephen Street at the beginning and then, you know, finding and coming back to Dave in the long, in the long run. But the, the both processes were really important and shaped a lot of the songs that went on record. Well, on this, on Hundred Broken Windows, it was you know starting with Bob Weston, who we went into Air Studios, um, and tried to record everything live. And we had a bunch of like fairly weird songs, including a really sort of post-rocky version of the Bronze Medal, um, and I think a song called "Forgot to Follow" and one called yeah. "Aton," which was just a right, <laughs> for a yeah. long time. Um, <laughs> I, I remember that song. So I can we were, hear we it in my head. Listening to Shellac and like Slint and these kind of bands a bit. You know, yeah, I think there was a bit of a mild panic setting at the label at the time. <laughs> uh, and you know, I think we we really at that point we needed a producer. Yeah, to kind of be this is how you work in the studio. Or this is this is who you are, or that, like to bring that out of us. We had it in it in ourselves, but we didn't really know how to bring it out of ourselves, I suppose. And, and Bob was very much like a guy that we really admired and we wanted to work with and, and, and had, you know, engineered and recorded some records that were, you know, were massive to us and, you know, played in Shellac as well. And we were like, this is cool, you know. Um, but he was very much like, right, you guys, let's set up and record. And then we'd record. And then we'd, he'd go, we'd go 
was that okay? And he was like, what do you think? And we go, yeah, right, right next song. You know, whereas we needed someone to go, no, that's, that's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not good enough. Um, or like, we should try this. Um, so that first session didn't really yield massive results, to be honest. Um, and I think at that point, the label were really keen for us to try working with Dave. Um, I think he'd worked on a few things that, um, you know, with bands in our sort of stage of their career, maybe, and, and that were, were needed a bit of guidance, I suppose, and maybe needed someone who could get a performance out of them. Um, and that was really where Dave was brilliant. You know, he was he was someone that we, you know, we went and met, we had a conversation with him on it all crouched around a phone in a phone box on Hanover Street in Edinburgh, I remember. Um, and, you know, like, who's this Essex guy who's laughing a lot? talking really loud down the phone you know um and and it took us a while to kind of he was so different from anyone we'd really knew you know <laughs> it was like it, it took us a while to kind of click with him i suppose when we first met him at jacob i think it was at, um jacob studios um uh, down down south um and we yeah it took us a while to kind of feel each other out i suppose but we had these couple of songs we'd written really recently in the rehearsal room, one which was a sort of a cassette riff that we'd worked out on the, in the practice room and Roddy had started singing a little discourage over. Um, and another one which was um, a sort of a guitar hook idea that that, that uh, we kind of wrote a, a, a few other bits around and he'd started singing Rosability and, and Gertrude Stein line over. Yeah. Um, and so... I think the label and Dave had maybe heard those ones and said, let's do those songs first. Let's go in and do two songs with them and try it out. And I mean, obviously fairly good choices of songs to start with for that record, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I remember coming out of that session, um, putting a, me and Colin were going to go to Glastonbury um, just because we managed to get some free tickets, I think. And we'd rented a car and we'd put a cassette in the cassette deck of like the rough mixes after we came out. And put it on. And we're both kind of like looking at each other, and smiling, and just being like, "Oh my god, we sound like a like a real band, you know? We don't sound like a sort of a noisy old punk band or whatever. You know, we sound like a like a big band. <laughs> you know, this is wow. You know, it was like I think we were all kind of taken aback, and uh, it was a real yeah, it was a real moment where we realised that we didn't have the limitations we thought we had, maybe, um, and that the a lot more was possible. And so we went back to write a lot more and we had a lot of ideas, things like Idea Track, um, which was very much finished in the studio. It was a lot of, again, sort of riffs and ideas and vocal ideas that were coming out in the studio. I remember being up until about four in the morning singing like 36 times back and vocals on that one. Christ. Um, just, you know, more like do that another six times and then this one and count the melody here and this one and that one. Um so, you know, it was various sessions at Rockfield and, and, and Jacobs and Chapel Studio. Oh, no, no, I think that was not Chapel. But I think that was another record. Actually. I'm so bad at remembering these things. But um, uh, it was, uh, oh, and Savannah in Glasgow as well. Um, but it was, yeah, it was really like, a, a, a again, another learning curve for us. And, and as we warmed to Dave and Dave warmed to us and we kind of became really close friends. I mean, he's still one of my best friends to this day speak to him most weeks um we 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 start to really feed off that environment and that confidence that it gave us that this guy could make us sound like that yeah this was like and and that we were we were sounding like that you know he wasn't doing anything 
you know, he wasn't playing the instruments for us. It was us that sounded like that. And that gave us a lot of confidence um, to try new things. And Idea Track was probably the song that was, although it's not my favourite song by any means, or even it was, it was a really important song for us in terms of learning about being in a studio mm-hmm. and, and, and being trying to play with melody and counter melody and, uh, and, yeah, really. I suppose writing in the studio to some extent, you know, not not nothing being finished until it was finished. Yeah, um, you know, we made a few mistakes. There was another song we never recorded, and I can't remember what it was. I remember we all thought it was good, and then Dave went away for the weekend <laughs> to do live sound for the Mannix. Okay, um, or he was doing like a TV sound for the Mannix or something. I think. And um, we were left and got drunk and started just jamming and playing around and doing like silly cover versions, like. Like me on the drums or Roddy on bass or like whatever. Yeah. Um, and then we wrote this. We just jammed this idea, which was mistake pageant, um, which to this day is my least favorite song we've ever written. Oh, really? Um, but at the time, we were all like, "This is amazing. This is so hooky." You know. Although Colin does argue that I don't think he thought that. Um, but I think me and Roddy were like, "This is the best pop song we've ever written." You know. <laughs> David come back and we played it to him, and he was. I think even he was a bit like. <laughs> um, but we were so adamant that we sort of ditched this other song that we were going to record that I have no recollection of what it, what it was or how it went. Then. Oh man! Um, and we did Mistake Pageant instead, um, which I think actually at the time the label thought was really really catchy as well. But uh, yeah, I it didn't like stand it. At the time. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's your least favorite. Um, it's, it's sort of an odd. It's a very odd song. Yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't heard it for years until we were doing one of these. Um, Twitter listening parties and it came on and I was like what a bizarre song <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really peculiar song um, but yeah that was written when we were all hammered Brilliant. <laughs> basically and I think we recorded it the next day when Dave came back amazing um, uh, yeah I, I think it was again it was the start of us learning to embrace the sort of yeah the the melodic and the harmonies and um yeah not hiding so much behind noise and sort of willful obtuseness you know i think and and it was just i suppose for that it was a very sea change record for us and and it caught at a certain time you know i mean it definitely wasn't our most successful record by 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 any length at all but it seems to be the one that sort of people remember the most um because it I sort of had a cult following. I think it's a lot of people in bands nowadays or that were in bands around that time seem to like it. Yeah. So it, it sort of had this sort of cult musician following, but didn't really sell that many copies. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's sort of one that people always talk about fondly. Um, and I suppose for us now, I mean, at the time, you know, when we were sort of, a couple, the, the sort of following records for us, we'd sort of look back at it and be like, oh, for fuck's sake, not stop going on about that record. You know, this one's loads better. But, you know, now I can kind of look back at it and I understand what it is. It was sort of a, a crossing point of us still having that, like, I, I suppose that energy and that, and that we, we were on the, on the tip of being confident in the studio, but not quite. And so there was still a nervous energy there in the way the songs are performed. But enough confidence that Dave was giving us that we he would make it sound good, that we were able to try new things. So it was sort of, yeah, it was like a really sort of a sweet spot in the middle where all of those things came together, I suppose. Yeah, that I can, yeah, totally um, 
yeah, again, totally agree. It's like, it does feel like it's, yeah, it's just this, it, it is a bit strange. And I think that's kind of why, you know, myself and Dan like it so much as well, because it should, I know it's just like, it's so, you know, wanky to say, but like, it does show like a maturity, but yeah, it's still kind of got that, you know, as you said, that kind of nervous energy, that kind of like, you know, buzz to it at the same time, um, as well as having like, you know, great melodies and stuff that you can tell is a bit more considered, um, perhaps than you know. Previous a bit of confidence, yeah. I think like uh, not not in a kind of a swagger kind of way because that was something that we were always kind of right, you know, railed against a little bit. That kind of Britpop swagger that bands had, you know, that was just so sort of toxic. I thought, you know, and not there's not really anything we were interested in. We were much more kind of introverted in a way, I suppose. Uh, and the bands that we liked were much more kind of like that. You know, they weren't, you know, sort of mouthy kind of arrogant, you know, people. So like, I suppose we weren't like that either. But it, there was a musical confidence that came. I really do believe it came from us realising that Dave was going to make it sound good. Yeah. So we were freer to make mistakes and to try things. Um because we knew that if it wasn't good enough, he wouldn't let it get on the record. So, you know, it was like, it was okay to make a mistake or to try something that might not work. You know, whereas before it was very much like, we need to record it and put it down and go, you know, like, so it's like, we just need to get it right. I think that was very much, I, I definitely earlier it felt like that. It was a bit sort of like the, the red light fever of just like, try and get it right. Yeah. Um, and then you know, that was, I suppose to us again, like I say, you know, probably we did spend a lot more time on it, but again, it wasn't like, you know, we spent six months, you know, prancing around in the studio to make it, but it, it felt like a really indulgent amount of time to us at that point in time, you know, and it was really, it, it was kind of explorative for us in that way. So, yeah. and that, as I say, it got more and more with each record um, to some extent, um, um, certainly up until Warnings Promises. So, uh, but I think it was a, yeah, it, 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 it was it was just that yeah like I say like everything just aligning at the right time yeah it's it's funny so um just bring it back a little bit to to Bob Weston as well mm-hmm. um whose idea how did that happen like whose idea was it was it something that you wanted to do um was it the I think as a band we discussed it and it was like that was someone that we were like let's try working with him it was you know we 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 were fans of Shellac and and you know he he obviously done some assisting and engineering on on Nirvana records and, and he'd been around, you know, worked at Electric Audio and we were like, this is, you know, this guy's part of, you know, done, worked with a lot of the cool sort of Chicago bands that we liked at the time, um, you know, and was part of that scene that we were, you know, kind of idolised really, you know. Um, we were much more interested in those kind of, Bands like Seaman, Superchunk, and uh, those kind of American indie rock bands, than you know, I suppose like the Britpop bands. Yeah. yeah. So and he was so plugged into that scene and part of that. And what we didn't realize was obviously all of those bands could really play. <laughs> you know, they, they were all really tight. Uh, and so they could just go into the studio with Bob and record and he would make it sound good. Uh, you know, we we probably at that point still needed someone to kind of show us how to do that. Yeah, uh, and I think that was that was where the difference was. And uh, saying that though, when we when we had done those sessions with Dave, we then went back 
to have another session with Bob okay. in Electric Audio in Chicago. Um, and and by then, having sort of worked out how we worked as a band, you know. Um, and even then, I think we we sort of, so we had more time with him. You know, we were like, oh, no, we need this much time to do a song now. Uh, and, you know, even then we were working so much faster than we worked with anybody else still. And we had all this free time, <laughs> you know, so we were going, it's like taking us out to see Cheap Trick and like, um, you know, so like at the drive-in supporting the Get Up Kids, and, nice. uh, like one of their early shows. And well, we were just having a great time, you know, and uh, just listening to records. And, you know, he played us like the original mixer in utero, like, you know, at that time hadn't really been heard by anybody yeah. else, you know, so it was like, it was yeah we were we were having a great time you know uh so and 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 he was again he was like a really inspirational guy to work with because he just had this really incredibly relaxed energy but like this history of great stuff they'd worked on and Mm -hmm. he was in one of the you know in this in this band that we all loved you know shellac Mm -hmm. it was yeah it was like wow we're getting to work with someone that we all really admire, you know, in that way. And, and you know, not, that, not, that sounds really unfair to Dave. <laughs> like, but we didn't really know who Dave was at that time. Yeah. You know, we, did, you, know, um, we, we you know, he'd not really made records that we had listened to much at that point. So, you know, he was kind of introduced to us by the label. And, you know, but obviously after we'd made that um, record with him, we, we were like, oh, this guy's great you know and we, we've been close to them ever since and worked with them on and off for years you know um even though we would often go like oh we need to go and do something different with someone else and then we'd end up coming back to dave and going actually why did we do that yeah, <laughs> yeah. um uh you know like uh, although like, as i say like i think all of those experiences were kind of important and, and gave us new ideas and then we'd come back and they would make them make sense right you know um but yeah, it was it was great fun, and, and I loved working with Bob, and you know we still keep in touch. And um, he's a he's a you know it was a really kind of inspirational time for us again. And being in Chicago in the studio, like Electric Audio, all these great records were being made, and you know playing billiards with Steve Albini, and you know, it was like a pretty mad time for us. That's know. brilliant. Did you get any? It's a running joke on the show that because me and Dan always bang on about Nirvana and all this stuff. We're like massive Nirvana fans. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I would be a fool for not asking, were there any Nirvana stories that they kind of discussed that, you know, haven't made the rounds? Not really. Times? Like, I think we were, we were so, I think, you know, a bit in awe when we were there, maybe to, to ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I think there were definitely moments when we would hear snippets of things, you know, and, I, I, I do remember like Bob saying that it was like, you know, that for all of that idea that we had about them, or I had about them at the time of this, you know, like rolling about the floor and being sort of disheveled and, 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 and loose and all over the place, you know, when you saw like a live footage or, or a gig, you know, and I think when they came in the studio, they were just like so together uh, and had their sound so together. It was kind of like, record this you know like it just sounds good uh, and they would do it so quick you know like a few takes and he would you know just tell us how like he would just go in and do into the vocal booth and take the various toys or instruments or tambourines with him and just hit them randomly at certain times that that, that are on the vocal take that you've never noticed really right. until it's pointed out to you, you know but it like, actually is like when you hear it now it's like well that has to be there 
they just they were just really in the zone i think you know they just yeah. knew exactly what they wanted to do exactly how they wanted to sound they were just a band on fire at that point you know and i think you know like incredibly catchy and sonically incredible drummer um you know uh, to, yeah i i i think um, Kurt had his sound, you know, knew exactly what he wanted his guitar to sound like, apparently, you know, and just coming in, they would just bash through it. Um, and, and, you know, almost like one take the record, you know. Um, I mean, I don't know how much of that is true or not, but like uh, that's certainly the impression I got from what we were being told was that they were just, they were incredibly tight and incredibly well together. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Just, uh, you know, not, because you know, as a kid, you have that idea of them, you know, and, in lab coats on the floor smashing stuff and yeah, being yeah. a total mess you know uh, i mean like how does the record sound so tight and so good you know um but i think that was the thing you know was, they were very very sort of yeah together good musicians in the studio you know i bet yeah um i was gonna ask as well like what was your setup back then in terms of just because i'm you know i quite I'm, i play guitar and stuff myself i'm always interested in like what amps pedals like what guitar i mean you that you might still use to this day um but did you have a certain favorite setup back then that you can remember they changed so much over the years like i think the early days it was like we got some money to buy some equipment and we went to a shop and bought some equipment that looked cool (laughs) and like i have no idea what we were doing you know uh and i think i bought like an orange um overdrive yeah i think it was um and i bought a fender jagstang yeah, and it was like a Kurt Cobain guitar. It looked I've cool. got one myself, and it sounded fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, excuse my French. And um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I think I bought a red. Uh, what was it called? The Boss Extortion pedal, right. which is my distortion pedal, which again said like a bee in a can. Right. Yeah. To earlier comment about being <laughs> being a can guitars. Um, so that was kind of my setup, you know, for a while because right. <laughs> couldn't afford any other gear, and. You know, when we were recording the first record, it's not like we had a load of other gear in the studio. It wasn't that kind of studio, you know. Um, I think that was one of the big changes when we went to work with Dave. And even with Bob, as well, obviously, in, in Electric Audio, there was all this gear. And when Dave, we worked with him, he had all this gear. And like Rockfield and these studios, they had like all these amazing amps and different guitars. And Dave would like to say, oh, we need to rent this kind of guitar in because you don't have one and it's going to sound good. And we start to layer guitars in that way. And that was a new experience for me. So it was really learning about guitar tones at that point. For me, it was about making a noise, you know, or like a, a guitar tone at that point wasn't really something I was thinking about massively. I was like, is it noisy and, and aggressive? Yes, cool. Um, uh, and, then, uh, and I suppose as that, as we were doing, 100 Broken Windows was quite, uh, yeah, again, a sort of sea change moment in that of learning about different pedals and different um, different guitars and different amps and what it sounded like and how to layer them. And uh, that, I suppose that was when it, yeah, that's when my minor guitar addiction started. Um, and, and yeah, I was never like one of these people who would collect loads and loads of pedals. Um, I would, I would like try loads of them until I would find one that I really liked and then use that one a lot. Um, you know, I was, it was not a, you know, and I've never really been that way. Actually, it's always been like a, a you know, I find a, a thing that I like and then stick with it for a long time. Um, and and it was it was more about yeah, can I get it either aggressive enough or 
fat enough or pokey enough or whatever yeah. it was at the time, you know. Um, and it wasn't a massively complex setup. You know, it was probably like four pedals at any given time when we were touring, um, like a delay pedal, two distortion pedals, and some sort of boost or a, or a tremolo or something. It okay. wasn't yeah. massively complicated. Um, it, it was more about dynamic for me, I think, than anything else. So, um, than effects, I suppose. Yeah. And I don't think any of those records are really that reliant on effects, to be honest. I think they're all pretty much just like solid guitar sounds, you know. That, um, and it was more like, like I sort of always felt a little bit like that was kind of hiding behind effects a little bit, you know. I think it was like, can you, if the part's hooky enough or good enough, then it should just sound good. Yeah, speak for itself. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I, I become a little bit obsessed about finding that particular tone for quite a long time. And, you know, going through various amps from like high watts to Mesa Boogies to, to Orange to everything else. Never Marshall. I always had a problem with Marshall. Oh, really? Um, I just <laughs> I just associated it with heavy metal yeah. and like Guns yeah. N' Roses. And I hated that. Yeah. You know, I was like, no, I'll never play a Les Paul. I'll never play a Marshall. That was my... I think that I think there are marshals on some of the records that Dave made me use for a layer, but like never on its own. <laughs> yeah. um, I was like, "Don't tell anyone." Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think it was never my. I, I became sort of snobby about it. Um, but yeah, I, I just sort of started to try lots of things and Vox and um, um, God, yeah, yeah, that. it was quite late on in the day before I even tried a Fender amp. I think. Um, you know, um, I think when they had a really great Fender Twin at, uh, um, Rockfield that we used on a lot of 100 broken windows and remote part. Um, and Dave always had a load of pedals that were cool. And we would just try loads of different things out and spend ages getting those sounds. But they were never massively overcomplicated. They were quite often manipulated with things like a, an old tape echo or something like that. But they were... Uh, you know, various distortion pedals in the chain, but it was never, it was always sort of one sound, not and layers of little sounds rather than, oh, here's a, a really cool wonky pedal. Like I never really, I suppose that's more of a mod. There weren't that many sort of pedals like that around at that point, maybe, I don't think, but uh, yeah. not like there are today. There were sort of boutique pedals that are around, which are, you know, there are some great ones, but uh, I was always kind of more interested in being able to make that. You look at a band like Fugazi, like it was just like an amp and a guitar. Yeah. Um, you know, and then it would turn it up or down. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> it's like, that's dynamic. Um, yeah, that was, and that was more interesting to me. Yeah, it's um, it's funny. So my yeah. setup, yeah, it always varied, but it was always it, it was always pretty much like clean, distorted, very distorted. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was pretty much the setup. Or, or occasionally a bit of delay. <laughs> And even that, at that point, I think I resisted that for quite a long time. Right. I was a bit like, I'm not getting delayed. That's like, you too do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the whole thing. Um, you know, it was a bit of a sort of, yeah, snob about that sort of stuff at the time, an indie snob, I guess. Yeah. Um, See, so yeah, it wasn't until much later that I kind of got into that kind of stuff, I suppose. It was all very simple. Right. Yeah, it's funny you're saying about the Jack Stang because I, I did the same thing of being like, oh, yeah, designed by Kirk Bain, even though, you know, whatever, he just... You never just, played one. Exactly. It's like, yeah, it's <laughs> like you see like a picture of like one gig or something and it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. 
and he and it's either magazine cut in half. But um, I swapped out all the pickups and all this stuff. But I'm like, when people are like, oh, it's a Jagstang, I'm like, yeah, it's you know, it's not that great. <laughs> it's like it's all right. It's yeah, all it, was, right. it was absolute rubbish. I mean, I I think I did as well. I think I put new pickups in it. Yeah, and tried to make it sound good, but it was yeah, it wasn't that junk really. Well, fact, it looks cool. It does. Yeah, the weight distribution used to annoy me. Like if I didn't have a stand, it would just immediately fall over if I tried to prop it up against anything. Um, but then and also, well, I think I, I, I like I remember the bridge used to fall apart all the time. I remember we did a gig in Union Chapel with supporting a band called Jonathan Fiery, who went on to well, a lot of whom went on to become the Walkman. Right. All oh, right. Cool. Um, and they were they were being licensed through Deceptive at the time, and a band called Catherine Wheel as well. Okay. Um, and I had one guitar. It was that Jagstang right. actually. And like halfway through the gig. A couple of strings snapped, and Fuck. the saddles for the bridge pinged off into the crowd. Oh, shit. <laughs> and I was like, well, there's nothing I can do now. I can't restring it because there's no bridge left to restring it. Oh, man. So I think by the end of the gig, I think I had three strings left. Um, <laughs> Perfect. But I think we ended up playing Captain twice um, <laughs> with, like, the three strings that I had oh, and, like, some other noisy stuff, which actually, bizarrely, when that happened, like, the crowd that were quite sort of nonchalant about the set up until to to that point... And then I think we had to just throw caution into the wind at that point, and it, it seemed to go down a lot better. Okay, yeah. um, I remember looking thing. over at this guitar stand. Um, for well, I think it was maybe the Catherine Wheel had all these guitars, you know, like um, you know, like a proper band. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, had a guy with like a rack of guitars next to him, uh, and I was sort of looking over and be like, "Can I borrow one of those, please?" And I'm just going, "There's no way I'm giving you like I'm just rolling, rolling around on the floor." He's like, "No, <laughs> you can't." Um, I was like, "All right, cool. We're just going to make a noise for the next twenty minutes." Um, but yeah, uh, it was it was a piece of junk at the top. But well, yeah, they've been proud for quite a long time. Yeah, it's weird. I always I think mine. I don't know. It was like six hundred quid or something. Whatever it was back in the day. Um, but they're re-releasing it uh, soon. Fender R again for like fifteen hundred dollars or whatever, and I'm just like, oh god, like. Oh, Jesus. Maybe they've made it better. Yeah. Well, probably exactly. not. Yeah, probably not. That's just it. Um, are there any songs uh, before we um, we're going to? I know we realise we're, we're at an hour um, and we haven't even got into the uh, into the actual songs yet. But were there any? Um, are there any uh, songs or anything like that or any? Anything that was like rather difficult to record? Was it a rather easy kind of process? Is there any kind of um, you know stories or anecdotes or anything that things going yeah, awry? Yeah, I, mean, I, I remember Discourage and Rosability being like, I just remember we recorded them and Dave was like, we're going to layer these things and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And it just sounded great. And it was really, I don't remember really process of it because i think it just went so well you know um I, I, I think i remember things like this wooden these wooden ideas we were like it's the first time we'd really sort of played with the idea of having a keyboard right you know that was a bit like what's this we're getting a keyboard and what the fuck <laughs> you know like that's not cool uh, <laughs> you know i think we borrowed a little tiny little one of those little tiny footlong sort of um casios yeah uh, from Teenage Fan Club who were in the next studio along at Rockfield um, I had to, to play the little melody line on, which had been a guitar line always. You know, right. and I was like, 
I'm not doing that on a keyboard. <laughs> you know, and then we got this little keyboard in, it belonged to Teenage Fan Club, and I was like, okay, cool. Makes that, it that, cool. cool. <laughs> uh, you know, so, uh, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, that became obviously quite an integral part of that song. Um, but the, there were loads of little bits like that that I remember. I mean, the idea track was definitely one that we spent ages and ages on, um, trying to get the, the beat right in the verses and like trying to do something different, you know, and I think we went round and round with that for a whole day, like just trying to get the verse right in the studio, you know, which we'd never done anything like that before. Mm. Um, you know, poor Colin sitting there while we were all sort of shouting beats at him <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, and trying to come up with different ideas and, and then similarly, the same with backing vocals that going on for hours and hours, right. you know, uh, like into the, small hours of the morning uh, singing six tracks of every part you know until it was hot completely blue in face um, but yeah I think there were like there was a lot of yeah reimagining stuff in the studio on that record which we'd never done before mm. you know we'd never had that luxury before so I think those those songs as I remember the, the idea track specifically I remember that was one where we really you know, it was not anything like it had been in the rehearsal room, you know. Um, you know, there was the, sort of the basis of the song was there, but the rest of it really... And a lot of the B-sides for that record as well that were, like, pretty odd, some of them, yeah. you know, um, that we were a bit more experimental with. Um, were there and, any that made it... Were well, Serious Contenders that almost made it to the album? Because I, I really like the B-sides. I don't know what the B-sides were on that record, to be honest. I always get them mixed up with the, with the ones on Remote Part, but I think... I don't remember whether Poor Thing was on that record or, or whether that was on Remote Part. Um, um, about Poor Thing, yeah. I think that was a contender, whatever it was. And there was, I think there was one called Failed Blake, um, or, uh, which might have then ended up being called as Glory in Your Story or something. Yeah, like that. Glory in Your Story, um, which, yeah. Which I think, again, we borrowed Norman Blake's um, Fender Jaguar for that one. Right. Um, and I remember, and it sounded like Teenage Fan Club anyway, you know. Yeah. Um, which I think is why we called it Failed Blake. <laughs> uh, and so, and, and uh, you know, I think we were, we probably went a bit too far into like, it actually has now become a Teenage Fan Club song. <laughs> we can't release that. Um, um, but there were quite a few like that, you know, where we were just, we'd never really had that opportunity, you know, to be, let's just try something completely different. Like, yeah. You know, and, and and, and uh, a lot of them, I'd say, yeah, became sort of failed attempts or, or B-sides. Um, and, and there were some good songs that were B-sides. Yeah. Um, but often it wasn't necessarily that we didn't like the songs so much as they just didn't fit in the record. Yeah. You know. Um, I mean, there's a lot of your a lot of your B-sides that you did still stick in my head, like, to this day. Like, I'm just looking, so I've got them um, in front of me here. It's like, you know, well, funny enough, um, you know, Broken Windows, um, that always mm-hmm. sticks in my head. Um, uh, West Haven as well. That's West one. Haven, yeah. Sticks, that. sticks in my head. Um, I'd say like, oh God, it's just, it's mad. Just that stick, that will stick with me for days once, you know, when I hear that song. Um, I can't, yeah, I, I honestly can't remember how any of them go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I, at some point you probably listen to them, but like, <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny that like, you, you, yeah, you, at the time, you know, remember it because they were quite often the more riffy ones or like the ones that we'd be like were a bit weirder. So you'd be like, particularly like any band, I suppose, like there's a member of the band who's like, well, this is the best bit I've done on the record. Like, this song has to go on the record, you know. Yeah. I remember being like peeved that it didn't, you know, with one of them. Uh, 
because you were getting to experiment a bit more maybe you know and and nine times out of ten that would mean that that song maybe wouldn't make it on the record but you know it would have great bits in it yeah (laughs) um but it's yeah i I think we did we did a lot of that i mean you don't get that anymore which is a real shame you know uh, it got to the point where it was sort of ridiculous because you know you'd have like a cassette cd1 cd2 seven inch you'd have to have like five (laughs) b-sides per single yeah it's like four singles. It's like it's another twenty songs you've got to write. You know, your record was like thirty-five songs by the end of it. You know, yeah. So, um, that, so you'd often end up just doing loads of covers or live versions of things by the end. But like we would always, we would always have four or five extra songs when we were recording a record. You know, and some of them were going to be B-sides, um, and uh, you know, some of what we thought was sometimes going to be the the big song. You know, ended up being a B-side. Yeah. Um, I think on, I think going into remote part, we have one called the Nothing I Know, which got a big string part on it, you know, and um, became one of the most expensive B sides we ever recorded. Oh, really? Right. <laughs> uh, you know, and we, I remember thinking like, ah, so catchy this one. That's going to be the single, and obviously, yeah, it didn't, one, didn't quite make it. Didn't quite make the record, <laughs> let alone uh, being a single. <laughs> but you know, we were never. You were always going to that process, and like I, you know, I see it now with bands I produce who go in and they're like they've got all this white behind one song that they think is going to be the single, mm. and then you finish the record and it, and it's like so far down the list, you know, because when you get in the studio and you start to hear the other things come out of the song and uh, you maybe rearrange it a bit or do other things to it, like you know sticking a chorus at the beginning as we did with World in Your Arms, you know, and that that the, the that suddenly like, oh, that's the single. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Where at the time we were like, no, that's not a single. You know? um, so it was, it's funny how those things always happen. I mean, just with but the you know, a guy, sort of a co-manager actually, who I produced his record a couple of years ago, Hamish Hawk, whose record's out at the moment, was coming out. Um, you know, they all came in with certain songs as like, this is the lead single, this is the one, this one's sort of like far down the list. And then, that one ends up being the first single because it, it, you, you're almost freer with it. And I suppose it pulls these things out of it in the studio and it, it takes on a life of its own. And it, it's often, it's, it's often not the obvious one. Yeah. I suppose. Um, I mean, when I go, I see shapes was definitely not a one that we thought was a single. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. Cause that's for a lot of people, especially when I think, you know, that's that time, my friends and stuff that was, um, that made, that was a lot of people's favourite song um, at the time. Over it's still my mum's favourite, weirdly. Oh, really? That's weird. <laughs> I mean, she doesn't even really like rock music. I mean, she's a, she was a soprano. Like, she's not a big fan of rock music, but she always thought it was like the cleverest one. Okay. I think sort of melodically. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny because yeah, none of it, it was like the fourth single, I think, on that record. And like, when nobody thought it was a single. It was, you know, it was our first hit, really. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's that's yeah, that'd be right. Yeah, because it was um, yeah, because what singles? What what was the order of the singles then? If that was your fourth, it would have been "Film for the Future." Right. Uh, everyone says you're so fragile. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm a message, and then when I argue. Yeah, because I I'm pretty sure I had them all, but yeah, it's quite funny because me and Dan um, always talk about this in a sense of like you had to play the single twice to get all the B sides. Um, sometimes, sometimes yeah. three times. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes yeah. three times, and, and on yeah, and this is just CD. But as you said, all like the vinyl and all this stuff. Um, yeah, people, people these days listening probably would be like, "What are you talking about?" 
I mean, it was like you know, I, it, it's amazing, like how much the industry used to rinse people yeah. off the singles. You know, um, I mean, it was uh, it was a racket, honestly. But at the same time, like, it, well, it was great because you got all these extra things, and you know, only really fans, real fans, would get all these extra bits. You know, and, and it was cool. It's yeah. like a sort of collector's item. And I, I do miss that. I have to say, like, but obviously. You know, back then a single was really, I suppose, an advert for your album. But like, also, like, you had to sort of play this game of like as many, you know, get your hardcore fans to to get every format of it, so you get higher up the charts. You know, um, you know when they when that was a thing. You know, um, yeah, I was, nowadays, I was wondering. Yeah, it's like it's it's more about songs than it is about an album a lot of the time now. You know, so it's it's a different. Well, I mean, obviously the album thing is coming back a bit with vinyl and even to some extent on Spotify, but it's it's a, it's a totally different ball game nowadays. You know, it's um, and I I'd like I do I do miss it definitely without sounding like an old sort of grumpy old man, but um, people were people I suppose were, would really invest in a record in that way. You know, and care about it a lot more. And, um, I think that's why when we did we did the sort of straight to fan record we did with Post Electric Blues where we sort of before all these sort of pledge music things sort of started you know I think it was like an, the idea of that was let's get people involved in the process and maybe they'll listen to the whole album instead of just a few songs yeah you know on Apple on Apple Music or whatever it was back then that was starting to take off so um, and. It sort of worked for that for the hardcore fans anyway. You know, they kind of became emotionally and financially invested in the record in a way. You know, so um, it was quite a cool process. And you know, but back then, that, that's that's what people did. Yeah. You, know, you, would, you would queue outside the record shop to go and buy the new Deus record or whatever, and then you would listen to it all day long. Yeah, that's right. On repeat. <laughs> what were the um, what were the singles leading up to the release of Andrew Broken Windows? It was little discouraged. Was- I want to say that with Discourage was your first one, or if I got that wrong. Yeah, I think it was. I think that was the first one, and then I think it was These Wooden Ideas. Yeah. And there's quite um, a gap, I think, wasn't there, between those two? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think there was a wee bit of a gap, because I think we I think we might have done it over a Christmas window or something like that, right, maybe, right. if I remember correctly. Um, I think they were keen to like put something out, because obviously we've been on tour a lot and starting to gather some sort of momentum, I suppose. Yeah. And, you know, getting some press and... We were going to Japan and you know, all of these things. So they wanted to get something out. And and, uh, and then, weirdly, I think Rosability was the last single on that. I think it was actually, um, actually, Darkness was the third single, I think. Right, yeah. Um, um, the, the most sibilant record of all time. <laughs> it was, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I just remember Dave telling me laterally, you know, just the amount of, turning down S's that he had to do in that song. Oh, really? <laughs> he was mixing it because it's just <laughs> shed a shade of shyness was yeah. Roddy's oh, quite yeah, an S singer anyway. So it's like, you know, it was quite a, um but yeah, so I suppose it was uh, that was it was the uh, I mean, sort of in, in banjo was the only riff of the month I ever got in guitar magazine. Oh, really? <laughs> was um, actually it's darkness. Yeah. Although <laughs> I sort of feel like it probably really be- belongs to Thin Lizzy. So <laughs> I don't know if I really can claim credit for it but uh um yeah so i think we were yeah by the time we got to roseability i think you know it, it was kind of the record had been out for quite a long time and i don't think it really performed at all in terms of like chart position or radio because it was quite late in the record yeah. uh, the record the album was already out so it was like after the record had come out 
Um, and I think it was a sort of a bit of a flop actually at the time. Oh, really? Um, right. Yeah, but I was always kind of, I suppose it was, it was a fan favourite, so mm-hmm. um, people already knew it. But um, yeah, it was funny. And we were, I suppose, at that point, you know, we you were, you were doing all these videos for everything all the time. And we did, I think that was quite a fun one to do because we had like a lot of fans come and we did this kind of live performance on this. We sort of looked a bit weirdly Britpop, actually, that video. We just sort of were playing on this sort of target stage. Um, it was an odd it was an odd video, but um, I, all I remember about that actually was watching um, the final of Big Brother on someone had one of those tiny portable Casio TVs <laughs> yeah. that one of the fans that was in the crowd, and I'd never seen Big Brother before, but it was all the sort of nasty neck stuff was happening. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, I remember everyone was crowded around that and we all walked over to see what was happening. What was going on? Um, Brilliant. Um, but yeah, that's all I really remember about that whole video. <laughs> <to be honest. laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you, you wouldn't think. <laughs> you wouldn't have thought that would be uh, the memory that you take away. Right, crowded around a, 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 a two-inch Casio <laughs> um, TV screen watching Nasty Nick get evicted. Yeah. That's <laughs> brilliant. Um, so one one last question on the album itself. Um in terms of the uh, the title and the artwork, where, where did that come from? I actually, I can't remember where he got the title from. Roddy came up with that. I honestly right. can't remember. Um, it was, I think, one of these things he'd had kicking around, okay. you know, one of these phrases he'd had kicking around, and obviously it was the B-side which had yeah, you know, was named that as well. So I think it was one of these things he had around, and it was just one of the... Uh, Oh, cool. it, it, it was mentioned as a title and it never changed. Right. Um, you know, it was, I think it was one of those ones where there was no discussion about it. Was that like, oh, that's a great title. <laughs> um, and I actually can't remember where it came from at all. Uh, uh, the artwork was a, uh, is, um, a friend of ours, Matt. Um, I can't remember where the photo was taken or why he's carrying a chair right. okay. um, for that matter either. I think it was somewhere in Edinburgh. Um, near a house that we all lived in for a while in Gilmore Place. Right. Um, and uh, f- Matt was our friend Emma's brother, younger brother, and he was, uh, and for some reason, he had a chair in his hand. I'm not sure why. Okay. I'm not sure why. Honestly, I can't even remember. See, but it's so, uh, yeah, so long ago. <laughs> yeah. See, because Dan always goes on about how I will find meaning in anything, that I just bring my own stuff, basically. But when I was like, when I look at that um, album cover, I see like the chair is like, like carrying the chair, the chair is a social, is a, um, how do, you, how do I put it? Like something social, like you're putting up a chair to something or like a, you know, like a family dinner or something, but there's this quite bleak black and white, like stark landscape behind it. So it's that idea, which I think, and again, you might be like, oh, whatever, but like <laughs> the idea that, um, that some of the tracks on the album have of like, um, what it's like to be like alone and, you know, uh, you're with people, but you're also not, you know, you're your own island, etc., and all that stuff. Um, that's what there's it conjures up. There's definitely an element of that in the lyrics, I think. And I think, I think there's a, there's a, I think certainly in those days there was a real vagary, is that the right word? Yeah. No, vagary, vagary. Um, yeah, sure, that, that Fakeness. Something like that. Yeah. Vagueness, yeah. probably the correct word, yeah. <laughs> um, to the lyrics that, that people would bring their own meaning to it. Mm. Um, and, and also, like, I think that what I've always been interested in about the way that music can, different music can bring the same lyric, completely different meaning. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that, yeah, the, the, it would be quite often in interviews, I think. I remember quite a lot back then in interviews where, you know, people would be asking Roddy what the words meant or what, what the song was about, or would actually say to him, is the song about this? And like, oh yeah, maybe it is. It's <laughs> 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 very much all like he would kind of discover what it was about as he was going. I think it was very much kind of stream of consciousness or, or various streams of consciousness all cobbled together. And, and there was a, yeah, the, the, I, I don't know, honestly. Like I think, yeah. I, I think as we, as we've got older, we all th- think much more about what we do when we're writing music or lyrics. I think, you know, and I think that in a way quite often can be an obstruction quite often, you know, because you, when you're not thinking about it, you're kind of feeling it and it's just happening and it's it's visceral and it's honest and it's it's immediate and and the later you get on in your career or the more that you have written, the less you're trying you're trying not to repeat yourself and you you're trying to better yourself or you're trying to do something like this or something like that. You you start to you start to overthink, you know, and you you stop feeling and you you quite often that can become trite or that can become, you know, a little, uh, it can lose an energy that, that you have when you, when it just comes out as it, as it used to yeah. you know, in those days and still does sometimes. But like that, I think it was very much, like I say, these ideas of sketches and, and, and they were quite piecemeal at times, but they were very, very much snapshots of obviously what was going on in your brain at the time that would just come out and be put down and then worked on later. And, and and so there was that immediacy in the idea and therefore immediacy in the song sometimes, the, the way that they came across. It's very difficult to recreate that yeah. in a cognitive way, you know, and, and I suppose that's something that every musician battles with as they get on in their career. It's, it's often, I think, mistaken for people running out of ideas or like, you know, getting old or boring or whatever it is. You know? But I think quite often it's the fact that you're trying to better yourself. We are trying to um, hone your craft in a way that maybe in the wrong way by like sort of thinking, okay, I need to be more considered. I need to um, think about what I'm trying to say or what I'm trying to do. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes not thinking about it is actually better. Yeah. Well, I it's, think. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Well, I hope you're ready, Rod, because I'm about to lay down some interpretations. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to these. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to tell you whether they're right or wrong, but I certainly <laughs> pass them on. Well, it, it's, it's uh, yes, yeah, pass them on. Be interested in, it's just like, what the fuck is he talking about? That's completely the opposite <laughs> of, of the original intention. Um, but yeah, so now we're going to go into 100 Broken Windows and go through it track by track. Are you ready, Rod? Yes, I'm ready. Let's do it. So first up is uh, Little Discourage. Um, so for me, Rod, um, I enjoy the fact that 
uh, I like how the music's quite like fast and punky and rocky, but um, Roddy sounds very sad and melancholy, which I think is that juxtaposition that I just enjoy um, generally over Idlewild, I guess, but I f- feel like it's here um, on the, uh, over this album as well a lot. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is that, would you agree? Is that kind of, <laughs> is that kind of dynamic that you were kind of aware of or? Yeah, I think, I, like, I think that was something that like was encouraged a lot by working with different people, certainly as well, working with Dave, a lot brought that out a bit as well uh, and encouraged us all to do rather than just be like, kind of like, let's get this down as a song as it is as a band, like really think about each individual part and what we were doing and how we were, how we interacted and how it played with each other. And uh, I think obviously Roddy by, by this point was really coming into his own as a lyricist. You know, I think there were snippets of that early on and, and a lot of that, and I think he'd be the first to admit, but a lot of that, the early lyrics were almost sonic, you know, rather than cognitive in that way that, you know, like words, a lot of it was to how a word sounded mm. or how a phrase sounded as much as how it meant something. Um, and I think Hundred Broken Windows is sort of a, there's a progression there where it is becoming a bit more cognitive and it's, and it's, you know, got a sense of place and self and, 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 you know, starting to understand that they are, you know, a reflection of yourself in a sense, mm. you know, and I, I think, yeah, there's, there's definitely, I think the personalities in, in each individual member of the band start to come out a little bit more. Yeah. Rather than it being like, okay, we're, we've got to play this as a band and get it down, you know. Um, and so you start to notice that a little bit more. You start to notice the personality in, in, in everyone's playing and, uh, and, and what really singing and in the melodics and everything. I think you start to, I, I suppose all of our personalities are being heard maybe for the first time mm. in that record. Yeah. Um, and, they inter- and the interplay between them, which is, because, you know, the, the, for, for a non-lyricist as I was at the time, and I'm certainly not a great lyricist these days either, but like at the time I'd never really written lyrics. So, you know, for me, my way of expressing what was going on in my head was playing the guitar yeah. or, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I didn't necessarily realize that's what was happening, mm. you know, but something would come out of my guitar <laughs> almost out of my hands. Um, with it, you know, and again, I wasn't sort of, it was one of the few instruments I'd learned as a child that I wasn't classically trained on. So like I, I, no. I was kind of making it up as I went along. Um, so it was quite real in that sense for me. Um, I didn't really realize that's what was happening, but you know, as I say, we were having a conversation essentially. Yeah. I was using the, the, that, you know, melodics to do that. And Roddy was using words to do that. And we were, the way that they meshed together was, was a conversation between the two of us in a sense. Um, and obviously the differences in personalities and viewpoints and everything that we had. And, uh, and I suppose that's what comes across. So, uh, uh, you know, even you start to hear, even just because the record set is well, is well recorded and it's well done and, and we're, we're learning to play better. And mm. you, you can, you can hear the, intricacies in what everybody's doing a little bit more, you know, from, you know, from all four of us at that point, you know, and I think that that does create that sort of, like I say, like that cocktail of 
different individuals coming together, which makes it sort of unique yeah. in a way that, you know, a band does over like a singer-songwriter, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, uh, and it was the first time you were really able to discern them a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, and, and it's, I feel like this is such a great opener because it does, you know, if hearing this after hope is important, as you've said before, like, it feels like, okay, cool. Like, you know, you guys have like stepped it up, if you know what I mean. Um, and you've got like the piano, for instance, that's in there, um, you know, you know doing different things there. That's like a, feels like it, it's more of like a mature sound, let's say. Um, but yeah, just in, I just love. Which was terrifying at the time, you know, because we were like punk kids. Yeah. You know? Like, and, and you know, that the idea of being quite sort of polished. Yeah. And it wasn't, I suppose, as I said, until we left the studio after about that first session and listened to Rosability and Discourage, which is still sort of pretty rocking kind of yeah. punk rock songs, you know, but like hearing them like that and being like, oh. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, fuck, we sound like a band, you know, like, sound like one of those bands that you hear on the radio, yeah. like not like a sort of, uh, you know, I, I don't know what we sounded like before, but, you know, I, I suppose it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was as much a surprise to us coming out of that first session as it was to anybody. I think. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Like it's a great intro to what like we're about to hear like for the, the rest of the album. And, you know, it's kind of indicative, I think to the overall sound. I mean, obviously, but just the fact it's got like, you know, your gritty guitars, nice splashy cymbals, powerful like drums. Um, and, you know, it, I feel like with a lot of the songs as well, um, the choruses, I mean, everything I really enjoyed. Um, I think every song has like its elements and I, I love the way that the choruses are usually like these real like crescendos and have this like great, um, like sometimes like a sing along kind of hook as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially with this, you know, where, and then you're repeating, um, repeating it, building on it, a little extra backing vocals as we get to the end. And then, you know, you put that cool little guitar lick over the top as well. And it's all like just it's a really like powerful first track, I think. Um, you know, musically, um, definitely. Um it's definitely sort of at the beginning of us starting to I think at that point possibly even develop a formula mm. a little bit. Honestly. Like and I mean I don't think in necessarily a completely cognitive way, but in a sort of sub- subconscious way we were starting to develop a a formula that of how a song should be put together. Uh, and you know, we would be really, I suppose, writing in a sense of like, not like we have to write a hit single, but we would be thinking of each song like, you know, this has got to have a catchy bit here and it has to have a hooky chorus and it has to have a cool riff at the beginning and it has to have a section that's a bit different in the middle. We were starting to think about structure and, and arrangement in that way. Um, and actually, you know, not to sort of, burst the myth or whatever or burst the bubble to some extent we we sort of realized that there was there was a way that we did that which which maybe doesn't sound as obvious when you listen to it and you don't know it but like there there was definitely there was definitely sort of a a template that we almost relied on without knowing it i suppose of like here's here's the sort of hooky verse and then here's the build up to the big single bit yeah. and then here's a bit in the middle that's a bit weird <laughs> and then Let's have the chorus again. Uh, you know, and actually when you look back at it, you're like, God, we used to do the same thing. Quite often. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I suppose when you listen to any band, it's the same. And, and like 
to the band themselves, it's like we're repeating ourselves quite a lot here, actually. But it doesn't necessarily sound like that to everybody else because you don't you don't think about it in the same way. You're not constructing it in that way, I suppose. And um, I think, yeah, that was definitely one of the first sort of that, and I suppose Rosability in a sense for songs that really kind of paved the way for a lot of the way we would write songs in the future. Yeah, um, you know, very that 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 sort of cross between that. You know, here's a, a big sort of sing-along melodic pop yeah. song and a, and a kind of a, like a punk rock song, I suppose, at the same time. And, and, and that, yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's it's funny thinking back to that as like such a sea change moment in the band because it was, as I say, we'd already done a session which hadn't gone that well. <laughs> um, and when we did that, I think everybody sort of breathed a sigh of relief at the record label. <laughs> <laughs> I said we probably did as well, you know. I think it was like a real like, okay, there's a new, there's a new energy there now. There's a new confidence, yeah. Um, um, uh, and and that was that was definitely the start of it. Mm. Yeah, it's. I also, um, in terms of you know listening to like Roddy's lyrics and stuff, um, I like the general negativity of it, <laughs> and you know the fact that it's, it's like singing as if almost like you know. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> don't, don't get too yeah, much. Yeah, there's definitely, the, like, I mean, I was sort of, there's, there's definitely a sort of a, almost like a, I, I always, it sort of always made me feel that like it was almost like a kind of a poking fun, kind of almost like a playground chant, almost, you know, to some extent. Mm. But, uh, you know, and this kind of, um, <sighs> Yes, not not in an arrogant kind of like I know better way, but in a sort of a, almost like a yeah. It wasn't it wasn't this sort of like everything's great or you know, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't brimming with positivity in that way. Or I suppose it like for one of better words, it wasn't cheesy um, in, in a way. It was it was sort of an anti anthem in a lot of ways, um, and. I, I, there, there was something there, and I suppose that, that people identified with the way that we were, we were writing pop songs that weren't that were intelligent. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and you know, obviously, a lot of that is down to the the lyrical content being really considered and really different and and, and clever and. Um, but at the same time, I suppose not too earnest and obvious as well. I think that that vagueness was was really, as I say, that I think allowing people some imagination, mm. you know, and, and some some to be able to take their own meaning from it in some sense was was actually what maybe allowed people to connect with it in a different way. Yeah, from like you know the sun is coming up or like, you know, or whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah. I think there was no, there were no ham fisted metaphors or like, or, or like over earnest, like I'm in love with you, baby. Kind yeah. Of yeah. You know, it was very much like, it, it was very open to interpretation. Yeah. Well, I mean, but yeah, at the same time, it comes across very confident that there's like, the, there's a, there's a really definitive meaning here. Yeah. But lots of people will think it's something completely different. Yeah, exactly. and that was what's kind of brilliant about it. What about his lyrics at that point? I think. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you know, the seventeen contracts and all this stuff. And I was like, <laughs> you know, to do with it's because it's such a specific number as well. And like I was thinking, is it? It's like a. Are we all just essentially like legal entities? 
that you're basically owned um, and that that in itself is discouraging. Um, you know, talking about the phone and all this stuff, you know, not wanting to know your own future, um, showing that you maybe don't want to be part of the system. Um, yeah, I kind of got like these kind of, you know, images as, as it... Um, you it. could be right. <laughs> <laughs> I won't speak for him, but I mean, you could well be right. I mean, it's, it's funny, it's like, because as I said earlier, then we had these sort of essentially... Uh, artistic conversations with each other um but then rarely would have a conversation direct conversation about it afterwards i don't think i've ever had a conversation with roddy about what does that mean (laughs) yeah okay which is strange in itself you know we'd be doing interviews together and then you know hear him talking about it and then oh that's the first all right (laughs) yeah that's what i mean (laughs) (laughs) i've really thought about that before you know Uh, and it's funny because you don't you just don't yeah. really like it was never the way that we worked or the way that we wrote um it was like it was a sort of very immediate kind of blend of like what he was doing and what I, uh, what we were all doing yeah that just worked together and we weren't really thinking like we all we all had our kind of roles in the band i suppose and, and we all had our kind of our voice in the conversation and there were there were the way that they blended together is what made it what it was mm. Um. Yeah, so we never really sat down and went, "Oh, you ready? What does that mean?" <laughs> well, this is why. But well, yeah, well, here we go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try my best. Anyway, um, you please do explain the rest to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try as well. Does he say um, broken violence or broken violin? Uh, I mean. I, I've, Both. again, I should probably know, but I always assumed it's violin, but maybe I'm going to be told now that I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, it's little things like that where I'm like, I don't know. And you go on Google and it's like 500 different things, which don't, which it's probably, you know. It's a very good point. I really should probably know that. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's funny, like, you know, the various support bands over the years and people who've played with it will all think the lyrics are something completely different. But actually, sometimes you hear them sort of joke about it so many times you end up actually singing it when I'm doing the backing vocals like, by accident. <laughs> you know, uh, I think there was one band that thought it was uh, All I Need is a Little Dutch Courage. Brilliant. <laughs> um, obviously, not that, but um, yeah, it's it, it funny how you, there, was, there was quite a lot of. And you get that. Lots of bands, obviously, there's lots of Nirvana moments yeah. where people had no idea what the lyrics were. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 bizarre that we've never actually sort of, the two of us have never really sat down and talked about that. Yeah, true. Well, yeah, I guess it's one of those it, things. Which is the first time I've really thought about that, but we haven't. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should. I'll, I'll phone him tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was speaking to this guy. And I've, I've had an epiphany about that record we made like 20 years ago. <laughs> um, well, speaking about that, let's go on to the next track, which is I Don't Have the Map. When it happens, you'll feel like an islander. You'll see ships and there'll be reminders that you're on an island. And I'm on an island The chances are there's a reason we've been left here But I'm not disappointed So, yeah, Rod, for me, like, again, I like the fact that we're straight in, basically. Um, it's It feels, you know, quite simple, but very effective. Um, again, you've got those big choruses. And I like, you know, you're talking about the structure 
um, you know, for me, it sounds like it's like quiet verses, slightly louder pre-chorus, and then these kind of huge choruses. And you stumbled upon the formula. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he knows, twiddling my moustache. Um, but I love it, and it works. Why? 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 Uh, exactly. Why? Why mess with exactly. it? Exactly. Um, uh, no, I mean, I think yeah, that I can't, I, can't, I can't remember sort of writing that song. I remember the the having various incarnations of it, but I think it was one of these ones where yeah, we we'd kind of entered into this new part of the record. I suppose this was post. Um, you know, the first session with Bob and, and, and then doing Discouraging Was Ability of the Days and going into like rewriting a little bit, I suppose, like starting again almost, mm. um, writing a new batch of songs, but very much kind of heavily informed by Rose Ability and Little Discourage because we realised that, that that really worked. That was us. We were like, okay, this is the best we've ever been. Yeah. Almost, you know, like this is this is how we write songs now. Um, and it was very much not not necessarily in a totally cognitive way again, but also almost like you know, you were just carried on by the I suppose the enthusiasm we had after recording those two songs and it going so well that we we, we sort of went back to the drawing board a bit and wrote a slew of songs in our rehearsal room. Like I don't have the map, and I think. Um, I can't even remember which ones we wrote when, honestly. But I think uh, "Let Me Sleep Next to the Mirror," I think as well. Mm-hmm. And listen to listen to what you've got was one of those ones. I think that we had, uh, you know, uh, again was was another sort of we needed a fast punk rock sock on the record still right. to sort of sake that. Okay. <laughs> but I think that I think I don't have the map was very much. It was a it was it was definitely a bedfellow to a little discouraged, I suppose, in terms of the way it was written and the way that we thought about it. Um, yeah, I, I suppose it was us starting to starting to settle into a, the way that we arranged the song and the way that we we put one together. And uh, it's it became that that became my sort of obsession for a while. Was that I need to write a a hooky verse riff. Mm-hmm. Every song has to have a hooky verse riff. Now that's that's what a verse is yeah. to me. Right. <laughs> you know, like, that's it now. I have to have this sort of this thing, and it became a bit of an obsession for quite a while, actually, um, and probably for the next couple of records. So, um, and and that was, I suppose, uh, yeah. Just I would just spend hours just noodling in a bedroom trying to come up with hooky things like that. Um, there's probably tapes of them somewhere, um, but uh, you know, and and some obviously in a rehearsal room together, just jamming. I think, but but it was yeah, it was it was very much that. Uh, Discouraged was very much the first time we'd sort of that I'd worked in that in that way of like, okay, it's it, the hook doesn't necessarily. It's not about a chorus hook. The, the chorus hook is the vocal, so the the verse is where I get to do the like. This is my this is my moment. Yeah. You know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I remember, I remember becoming quite obsessive about trying to write those kind of little hooky guitar parts mm. for, for, at that point. Um, yeah, that's all I can really remember. It's, it's funny cause it's not one that we play a lot. Yeah. It's not one that we sort of have gone back to a lot. It's a very, it's definitely an album track. Right, <laughs> yeah. Let's put it that way. <clears throat> um, 
Well, saying that, like every time we do go back to it, and we've done like remote park shows or like hundred broken window shows, um, you know, when we when we were doing the anniversary shows of it, and we had to play all the songs, obviously, and we went back to it. And it was like, Actually, that's quite a good song, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, no, oh, that is quite. A... And you, and you start to think, oh, like, I mean, I start writing things like that again, uh, you know, like, it, you know, because we'd sort of fallen. You know, going on to remote part, we were writing in quite a different way. It was quite often we'd sit down with an acoustic guitar and vocal and come up with a chord pattern and some vocal melodies right. and then write parts around that. So it was quite a different way to go. You know, at that point, it was very much like um, it's got to start with this hook, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't, it, you know, didn't do that for a couple of records, really. So it wasn't until we went back, to, I think, to like maybe doing Make Another World where I started to think about trying to do that again. Mm. Um, uh, it's it, funny thinking back now how that was a real obsession for me at that point in time because I had to have this thing had to have a riff yeah. like a hook I couldn't you know like could, I couldn't just play a chord yeah like that was I don't think I hardly ever played power chords I think even the chorus of a lot of the scores were the first times probably doing that as a you know without thinking about always oh, going to have to have a hooky bit yeah. around it you know that's it's yeah I mean that's part of why you know i really enjoy it because it then i think it kind of adds to why it sounds a bit different and like dan will tell you like i'm always about like a hook um <laughs> you know i love you know we listen we chat about like noise music and all this stuff but um you know i'm like if something's got a hook i'm you know which i like i'm i'm all in <laughs> basically <laughs> um and yeah here it's like i love these little guitar bits that you do that you know add you know a little more just generally to the overall sound um, and, you know, that turn of phrase as well, like what you were saying, like what Roddy does, like, you know, sonically in terms of, you know, can't contact, can't cope without the contract. It's just a great vocal melody. And it actually reminds me a little bit about like the kind of um, how you would use vocals on like hope is important a little bit, um, if that makes sense um, in terms yeah, of the it's, sound. It's, like the, the, there's quite a few moments on this record and I think on that way, there, there, it's always almost like a chant, you know what I mean? It's like a sort of a... Like it did, and I don't, I don't necessarily mean that it's meant to be taunting, but it, it has that kind of quality to it. You know, that kind of um, repetitive kind of schoolyard kind of taunt yeah. in, a, in a way um, that has, yeah, like a, there's sort of a there's a, a there's a weird kind of confidence in it. I think, mm. like the way that he's sort of. It comes across very well to me. It came across very confident. Like it's like I I know exactly what I'm. You might not understand what I'm saying, but I know exactly what I'm saying, and I'm, I'm going to shout it at you yeah. <laughs> repeatedly. You know, yeah. um, and it was very. Yeah, I, I was a bit in awe of it, honestly, at that point in time, because I, I, you know, I, I didn't write lyrics for Madam at the time. <laughs> I'm still not particularly good at it either. But like that's that was very much the, you know, you know. I think we all had that thing that we could do in the band that the other the other one wouldn't understand how we could do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was a sort of a mixture of that. So my cat is scratching That's right. everything. That's, right. <laughs> That's what that weird noise is, if you're wondering. <laughs> exactly right. um, That's fine. Um, yeah, no, it was, uh, I think, yeah. And again, as you say, like uh, like on uh, some of the earlier, well, like on Captain and, and Hope is Important, there is that that's that importance of the sonics of a word as well as opposed to its meaning of it, it being phonetically catchy yeah. almost or phonetically hooky in itself um that 
you don't necessarily think about all the time. I mean, uh, they're... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It was very much important in the early songs like Captain and before, I think, where it was very much the songs like Captain, for example, like just liking the way that the word Captain sounded. You know, yeah. I think. Um, and I, I certainly remember him saying that at some point. Um, and I think it, it was, you know, the phonetics were as important as the meaning a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and the way that they interacted with the music, because it is another instrument at the same time. Um, and I, yeah, there are, there are a lot of moments, certainly on that song and, and on Discourage, where those kind of repeated chants almost, they do they do take on a musical quality as, as much as they do, a, a, you know, meaning. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, as well, like, um, ending with the screaming. I mean, you know, Ruddy's got a great scream. We're big fans of like, you know, when someone's got a really, <laughs> a really good scream, it, you know, it really stands out. Um, but yeah, I also think it fits into the thing because I've got like, so I like how Ruddy's vocals are very haunting and there's almost something a bit mm-hmm. like fearful, which I think kind of fits into what he's singing about in a sense of, and again, here we go, but like, your, your life is an island and like you don't have a map. And so it's almost like an existential fear. But around that, it's like he's in it with you. Um, so you're alone, but actually you're not alone. And there's probably a reason why you're both alone, but you don't know what it is, which makes it all the more sadder, if that makes sense. And Yeah, I mean, you could well be right. I mean, I think I think the existence of being a musician in a band and doing what you're doing and writing and putting your inner thoughts out in front of lots of people, you're, you're in some sort of constant existential crisis. Yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so you were almost definitely would be right about that, I think. But uh, I think, uh, yeah, I, uh, like I say, I mean, you, the, the, there's so, there's, there's so many meanings you can take from, Certainly, I think the lyrics on it on any of the early records because they're so they're, they're very cleverly woven together in a way that, like, it, it's it, it sounds to me, or always did sound to me, like he knows exactly who he's taunting or talking about or or what he's talking about, and he's very confident in that. But actually, that you could also it could mean something completely different. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you, I, I, I've lost track of the amount of people who think that all the songs are about something completely different yeah um, well, i'm just that i'm just and there's something, <laughs> that's that's a real ability a real skill in itself to be able to do that i think you know it's like it's much easier to be like very direct 
you know, um, but, and also sometimes even to be like willfully obtuse. Yeah. And, and over fisted with the metaphors, I think, you know, I think there was a, there's a fine line there between, you know, sounding trite and sounding over earnest. Um, but I think that he, it was something that other people weren't really doing mm. at the time, you know, at all. It was, you know, like a lot of Britpop and then laterally Bratpop, it was all about, you know, partying and the lyrics were all about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was all yeah. about... You know, they were all fairly... I mean, they still are. Really. Understandable, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> actually. Uh, and this wasn't. It was like something that really that gave it a kind of a mystery, mm. I suppose, which is what people attached to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's as well, it's... Um, uh, yeah, I've got like, you know, you can see the city, but you're confused by local lamplight, like as if you're distracted by the more immediate local problems of situation or situation you can't quite get there. And then the idea of like keeping time with my ideas... Like, is that about the band? Like, you know, is this like, you know, you and Roddy, like you're kind of working together out in the wilderness almost, but you've got this like connection in some way. And then, yeah, like the screaming at the ending, I was like, it kind of fits into the theme of like, uh, it's like almost this fear leading to frustration. It's almost exasperated rather than just like screaming for the sake of it, which it still could be, but I'm trying to read a deeper meaning, (laughs) deeper meaning into it. I mean, I always felt like it was exasperation. Like, uh, it always felt genuine to me. Um, and, and I think when, maybe because I was used to seeing it on a stage as well, or, in a, in a, you know, or when, when it didn't feel pretentious in any way. Yeah. You know, I think it always felt like it was from a genuine point of, like, Either excitement or frustration, <laughs> you know, um, and, and I think when it's not, it's always quite obvious that it's not. Um, I, it's, I suppose, anybody who is a a, a good lyricist or an artist who, who is writing like that, there is always a, like some sort of internal frustration and and uh, and and battle in that way that when you are i suppose getting it out in a performance whether that be in a studio or on a stage there's there's going to be a a tipping point or a crescendo to that and so in some sense uh, and that was something that dave was really really great at getting out of you know, as as a musician or as a singer he was he was great at putting you in a situation or in a mindset where you did get more involved in it almost. You got more, um, you were more in the song or more in the moment at the time when you were doing it. And that's how he got those performances out of you, put you at ease in that way, yeah. but not in a, uh, it's a real uh, masterclass actually in the people management side of production, which I think is something that I think he is a real master at. Um, uh, is someone who, you know, I've taken a lot from as a producer um, in terms of the way that he will get what he gets out of you um, in a way that, you know, very few other people are able to do, I think. Um, uh, and and there's a, the, it's, a, it's a real master. It's, it's quite incredible to watch at times, you know, when it's not, when it's not going well, you know, and when things aren't coming together, yeah, 
and how they'll turn it around to a point where it becomes great. Uh, and that, that's that's something that a lot of it's 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 under um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's um, it's not celebrated enough yeah, that appreciate do that. I think I think it's underappreciated. Yeah. yeah, I think he he's a real master of that. Like you know, some producers are great at making things sound wonky and weird, and and and. Uh, some have got more of an artistic bent than others, and some have got uh, are great at making things sound big or or, or subtle or the start of the other. I think at that time, I think you know, obviously Dave's got better and better as he's got on, mm-hmm. and is, is great at most things now as a producer. But I think, but the, then certainly as a producer, that was the the big difference I noticed between him and anybody else. Certainly with us, was that he could he could bring the best out of us in a way that no one else really was able to do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, you can, you can hear it over the entire record. It's just his production here is just phenomenal. Like I was saying, like immediately with, you know, those opening um, bars of little discourage, it's like, it it does make that world of difference. Um, So yeah, he did a great job. (laughs) It's, it's, and 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 it, so much of that, other than the engineering skill, is is that thing of yeah, just getting you to be your best, I guess. Be your be- yeah, be your best, and also feel it more, mm. I suppose. Um, and and it's 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 an incredible skill that he has in doing that. And and you know, I think you know the really good producers do have that skill. I think, um, and it. it, it it, it it's almost like a lack of ego. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's it, uh, and an ability to kind of feed the, the the ego that an artist when they're performing needs. Mm. You know, but in a in a way that is, I suppose, like inspiring and supportive and and comforting and and also. Energizing, yeah, I suppose. And it's, it's oh, sorry, my watch is talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a, my watch didn't get, didn't that. get it, yeah. um, but no, uh, but no, it's yeah, it, it's it's the thing that it's the thing and the reason why we kept going back to it, yeah, yeah, I bet. Um, cool, well, let's move on to the next track, These Wooden Ideas. It's a battle. So for me, again, this feels uh, a bit more brighter, uplifting, especially after, you know, the last song there. Um, but I feel like it's the bass that kind of gives it that slightly sadder vibe. Um, and you've got that like slight whispering, uh, you know, call and return. Um, that softness itself is quite nice. Um, and then you've got that pre-chorus. And I guess like this is with, you know, the um, organ sounding keys. And I like how the melody works here, but it's being... I feel like, and this is for me because it's you and what you were saying from before, it feels like it's being played by, like a guitar almost essentially, like a kind of staccato or whatever they call it, like a, um, oh, what's the word for begins with A? I don't know. Um, but yeah, it feels like it's being played, uh, you know, like a guitar. Um, and then the big chorus, I love what your uh, guitar work is doing here, especially with those keys on top. Um, 
and yeah, I think it's a really, um, again, another really great, uh, great song there. Um, uh, yeah. How does it feel? How does it feel to you? It's a funny one. It's like whenever I was at an odd relationship, but it's one of these songs that we've never, uh, we never, I thought really managed to pull off light. Okay. It was obviously a thing we had to try and do it and it became a bit of a frustration over time. Uh, I think even when we were recording it, you know, this idea of like pushing it into a bit more of a pop sphere, like, you know, and uh, I say pop and, you know, I don't mean like sort of Katy Perry pop, but, you know, for us at the time, what we considered yeah. pop, you know, having the idea of a keyboard playing the main melody, for example, was a totally alien concept <laughs> to me at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think, uh, and yeah, as you say, playing it like a guitar was because I was a guitar player. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I played piano when I was a kid, but, you know, I hadn't played it for years. So it was a bit, it was a bit of a, uh, yeah, it was definitely an experiment. And, 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 and I suppose for us that was, well, for me at the time, certainly that felt like, God, we're really, we're really trying loads of crazy stuff, you know, like we're playing a keyboard. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it was, it was, uh, it's funny, like, I, I don't, I think I remember going into that song to record it and thinking, this is, this is the one, like on the record, you know, like it's going to be the one because I had like, I was really pleased with the kind of, the hooks in it and, and everything that was going on in it. Yeah. And I remember melodies were really, really strong. Uh, and, uh, and it took such a U-turn in the way that we recorded it, I suppose, when the keys came in and when we started to think about it in a different way. Um, that I suppose I sort of, I almost fell out with it. for a Okay. <laughs> Um, it's a funny one, but like actually, you know, listening back to it, I kind of think about it completely differently. I think it's actually probably was probably quite an important track for us in terms of the way that we were starting to embrace new ideas mm-hmm. and different things. And um, yeah, it's a fun, it's a, it's an odd one. It's a, it like I, I it's a song that I've always been a bit on the fence about. For me. Yeah, um, I'm fair enough. Like it's it does feel. Um, a bit strange as well, if you know what I mean. Like it doesn't feel like you're. Um, it's a really un- it's an unusual song. Yeah, actually, when I, when you think about it, it's certainly melodically and, and musically, it's a really peculiar song. Yeah, um, and, and it, it's sort of like jaunty, and jaunty became a word that we started to get a little bit of afraid afraid right. of after a while because we were starting to quite. Especially when we got to mistake pageant, we were like, we should stop being jaunty. <laughs> um, like it's like the dirty word. No one say the J word. Yeah. Um, but like you know, it was yeah, it was uh, it's kind of jarring in that way musically, mm. um, but in a really brilliant way. I think actually now listening back to it, but it's, uh, yeah, and and again with the um, again to me, and maybe I picked up on it wrong, but with this sort of taunting kind of lyric, it's almost kind of you know like it, it doesn't. That, that sort of juxtaposition of that, that sort of, yeah, really sort of quirky keyboard melody and the, and this sort of like taunting um, intellectual lyrics. Yeah, that's <laughs> that were there. So I felt, it felt, it, 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 it's quite a brilliant juxtaposition actually thinking about it now. But yeah. it was, um, at the time, it was, it, it was almost uncomfortable yeah. for me. I remember. <laughs> That's part of why I like it in the sense that it is a bit different. And also like, 
it feels like it's almost a criticism of postmodernism, which perhaps in itself makes it post postmodern. I'm not sure, um, or if it's like the well, deconstruction. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely the case. Yeah, yeah. and I like that. I suppose. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what I, I, it, it has put my finger on what it is about it that always bugged me with that song. Mm. And now going back to it, you know, with hindsight and old age, um, it has definitely less of that feeling for me. But it, it, it was, it was definitely out of our comfort zone. Mm. I think that song. Yeah. Um, and and it was something that probably took some getting used to but it, it probably was much more important a song in terms of her development as a band than I, than I probably realised at the time mm-hmm. I think yeah in terms of pushing us to try things that we weren't usually going to do and 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 expand sort of horizons a little bit musically which doesn't sound necessarily like that you know sort of making it sound like it's some sort of prog rock opus but it's not <laughs> but but actually those kind of subtle changes were quite jarring for us at the time. Yeah. Certainly for me. Yeah, it's it I can I can see that. Um and yeah, I like I like as you said, it's kind of discussing the intellectualism of um yeah, what it like there's almost I get a sense of like there's almost a peacefulness by being postmodern because it's not it's not real. And then there's that idea of like, you know, almost as if, you know, waiting, you know, talk about progress and waiting for the world to catch up and that you know, bad, boring ideas that are basically counterproductive um, and, you know, repetition, reduction, you know, boring, getting smaller. Um, and then, yeah, there's almost like a bit of, I don't know, like critique. It's almost it's just kind of the process we were going through at the time. Yeah. You know? I mean, and, right. you know, that, that we, we, you know, even in just writing that record, you know, like, uh, you know, we're just constantly on tour and having this, you know, very little time. You know, we, we basically we finish the tour and then we go into the rehearsal room and write, 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 and then go on tour again and then write, 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 and do a session and then write, 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 and then you know, uh, and and of course you do you you do start to repeat yourself and you do start to like question everything and you do start to um the more records you make, it almost gets harder and harder, you know, to to write um and 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 there's the definitely and and what I hear and it's definitely a commentary on that you know and, and what we were all going through at that point in time mm. yeah it's also like I think going through as if it's like yeah, having it's a, a dreadful time, time. <laughs> we were having a great time but you know it was, like anything it's all relative to what you're doing yeah. you know so you, you you know there are stresses and strains involved in any kind of creative process that, that, that you know yeah yeah. and any kind of relationship with other bunch of human beings that you spend all that time with as well so you know it's like there's definitely elements of that and there's an awkwardness to the song in itself and i think in in the in, in the melodics of mm-hmm. it and the way that it's delivered that, that that actually is probably what makes it good yeah but also made it quite uncomfortable at the time mm. yeah and that last thing of like you know how do you spell um uh, contradiction, cell conviction. Like I really sat and thought about this probably a lot longer than I would ever have needed to. But like, I was like, okay, like spelling contradiction is talking about like maybe critiquing their education almost, um, in a sense of like, you're talking about whatever X, Y, Z, but you're thick. And I'm not saying this is what, (laughs) this is what he's necessarily talking about. I thought, what is like selling conviction? And I was like, well, conviction is kind of like, what is it? It's dedication, like, belief uh, loyalty 
and it's perhaps something that can't be sold, something that's more like, you know, that's earned. Um, so like, how do you, how can you command loyalty almost? How do you sell conviction? And that's basically the um, result that I kind of came up with. <laughs> to, to, I'll, I'll ask him. <laughs> yeah. find out. You might find it and be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I mean, yeah, it's it's funny. Like as you say, like I think sometimes there's, there's sometimes there's a more cognitive thought behind it, and sometimes there's a there's a stream of consciousness there, and there's sometimes there's, it, it's a it's a just sounds cool. Well, yeah, I don't think there's <laughs> that so much as I think it's, there's a there's a there's an element there where you. I think you would come up with something that is, or he would come up with something lyrically that that would resonate with what he was thinking at the time. Mm. That 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 would not necessarily then be like, "Well, I'm going to write a song about that." You know, I think it would just be, it it, it would fit within the narrative of of the song in in a sense, and. and it's hard to explain but i mean i think it's 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 a very um it's like it's appropriate like for yeah the tone yeah yeah there's there's a sort of a there's a thread between it and 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 what else is going on and i think that, that sometimes as you're kind of weaving things together, like in, you know, laterally when I started to write lyrics for my own stuff, as you're weaving stuff together, sometimes you, you have lots of different fragments of things that you weave together that you think that actually, yeah, this, this does kind of say what I'm trying to say, but actually maybe it's making me think about this in a different way. And sometimes as you're writing a song, the meaning of it kind of changes, I think a little bit when you're writing lyrics um, you start with it being like I'm going to write about this, or I've got this idea, and then as it progresses, and you start to you know, piece together other ideas around that theme or around that feeling, it starts to take on a different life almost, and it starts to go down different avenues a bit, and you, it's almost like sometimes, almost like therapy in itself. Mm. Because you you start with one idea, and by the time you've finished writing a song, you've got a different idea. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know if that's his thought process because I'm not in his head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but certainly for me, that's how it happens. Yeah. When if I write that way, and I, I, like I, I feel like I can hear that in the way that the, the lyrics are woven together quite often. Mm. I feel like sometimes they started one way and then they've. It's almost like an argument with yourself sometimes. Isn't yeah, it? I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of brings us on nicely to Rose's ability. Um, so, yeah, let's move on to that. Ability. Uh, first of all, I love that drum intro sound. Like it feels very raw and earnest. Um, and yeah, again, really like the guitar work here. It's 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 very pretty, if you know what I mean. If I can say it, like 
in that way. And the vocals, you know, sit really nicely over the top. Um, love the chorus again, I'm going to keep saying this and it is, it's not just because you're here, but I do actually, obviously <laughs> I do, <laughs> do love this album. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not being too sycophantic. I do apologize. Um, but I like that, um, that your guitar work basically over the chorus and stuff, it sounds different at the end of each line, which works really nicely. Um, but what, I don't know if, you know, that's how it sounds anyway. Um, and then, yeah, like, and then this little post chorus bit where it's like, you're almost coming down that, you know, that mountain, um, and then back to like the pretty roseability line. I just quite like that kind of sonic journey. Um, you're, you know, you're, you're taking on, um, and then yeah, you've got some talking or something on the background of that second Gertrude Stein line, which I'm not, I can't ever make out. I don't know. It's like someone on the phone or something like that. Um, what is that? Do you do you remember? I actually remember. Okay. Now that you said that, like I'm just like, actually, yeah, what? Yeah, I should have had a little clip to brought up. But um yeah, I always remember thinking, what is that? I can't even hear I can't hear what's been said. I actually can't remember. I would have to listen to it to remember. Like it's funny, I've not I've not gone back to that in a while. I and we used to do that quite a bit, you know, there'd be snippets of things that we would put in like in, in Film to the Future right. and then various other things but I can't actually remember what that yeah, was that's fair um, no I think um, I, I, I'm trying to try remember when we were writing that song um, I remember well first thing I remember being was like who the fuck is Gertrude Stein <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then when we were in the rest of the room and then we sort of had a conversation about that but I, I think that, um, and also there's one, one thing that, like, uh, uh, you know, this idea of um, this sort of idea of wordplay in there, obviously, and and Rosabilly, and 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 it, it, it like it, it's such a kind of weirdly visual word, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. Yes, definitely. Like it, it conjures up a lot of imagery, um, and and it was always a, a like an immediate favorite of mine of at uh, that, that time of what he'd written lyrically i remember just thinking it was very it it, it, it conjured up a lot of different energy in my mm-hmm. head uh, and, but i think i mean melodically the song i think it was it was um i suppose me trying to do both I remember trying to write this this idea of having this thing of I don't want to just play power chords. Yeah. I don't want to just be one of these bands that just plays power chords. I don't want to be that kind of guitar player. Um, I, I want to play melody, mm. but also it's a rock song and it needs power. Mm. And and before we'd recorded with Dave, when we wrote it, you know, it was very much like there's one guitar, so there's one guitar part. Right. So it needs to have both things. How can I do that? So it's like almost this thing of it, which is why I played quite a lot on open tunings back then, so I could play like a, a chord and a melody at the same yeah. time. But with that one, it was very much like, okay, well, what about if I play a bit of a chord and then a melody and then a bit of a chord and then a melody and a bit of a chord and then a melody? Um, and it became this sort of hook, I suppose, of the chorus in that way of like, okay, th- this is something I can do. Yeah. Um, and, and, it was it was really I suppose as 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 uh, low rent as me trying to do two jobs at once. <laughs> um, I feel like I, this is a rock song; it needs to have big chords behind it, but also I I, I don't want to just play the chords; I want to play some melody. Yes. Um, 
because uh, all the guitar players that I admired were either sort of obscure uh, or, or melodic, you know, people like Bob Mould, and it's like, you know, Copper Blue was such a sort of melodic record. The guitar playing was always, you know, really hooky and melodic. And even like Sonic Youth records were always really, although kind of trashy and weird and, and, and noisy or dissonant, there were always hooks there. And that, that was something that I, always wanted to put across in what I was doing and so, so it was limiting in a way I suppose and we didn't have that I suppose the power that you get from having a sort of a noisy guitar playing chords underneath so it was kind of me trying to do both at the same time yeah. um, uh, and it you know before I kind of realised that you know it's okay to have two guitar players. You can just not do it the same way. Or maybe we'll get another guitar player to do it yeah. live, you know. Uh, so it's like, uh, look, there's only one guitar, so it's all got to be done in a one <laughs> So that's how I'm going to have to do it. Um, and then Dave going, no, it's okay. You can play, it's okay. And then you can play a melody over the top afterwards. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to do that live? I'm going to do that. Uh, uh, you know, so uh, it's funny how many bands still you know when they come in and to the studio young bands now that, that have that same mindset yeah. and, and I sort of remember back to me being like that thinking oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> <I suppose>. yeah <laughs> silly you uh, you know uh, no I, so uh, yeah it was uh, it was sort of a new way of me trying I suppose a new way of playing for me and and, and trying to do both things at once mm. and trying to be different uh, and uh, I suppose accidentally sort of stumbling on a, on a style yeah really yeah it's great it's funny you say that because it's like in my on my very small musical career um I had that, that same thing whereas like being in a three-piece and then sitting to actually record something it was like right so um uh should we do the next guitar part so what do you mean like that's I've only got the one like it's just it's just me it's that, like yeah, uh, you know and I think like you, youthful me or like yeah, you, you, you've all got an ego especially at that mm. age you know when you're in a band and you want to be you want your time to shine a bit you know and you want your time to be like this is this is what I do like so I want to do cool stuff yeah. you, know? Yeah. <laughs> you know you're an 18 year old 19 year old kid and you're like, you want to show off essentially um, and so you're like well I can't show off if I'm just playing chords <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, you know, I need to like, I need to do something else. Mm. So uh, it was like that. I think that was always a co- like a weird sort of constant internal battle with myself of like trying to, trying to, because we were a rock band at that point, you know, we were starting to write sort of fairly, well, what to me seemed like quite heavy kind of rock songs, mm. you know, and it, but like at the same time, I wanted to just play the melody. Yeah. So like on a hook. So it was, yeah, that was sort of an internal, internal guitarist battle going on within myself of like trying to do both jobs at once not realizing that i could do them separately. <laughs> yeah that is possible i mean i found it quite you know obviously it's it's, it's not um, it's on a much more low-key scale but like i actually found that um became like the most interesting bit like during those you know kind of finding it out and then being like it's almost like coming out fresh like oh god i can play i've been playing this for like a year or whatever and now i can like you know what can i do like the <laughs> Oh my God, the, you know, it's like the world has opened out on this song now that I can actually add bits that I'd never even, you know, really, um, considered and all this stuff, um, which kind of brought a bit of a fresh excitement to it. But, um, yeah, it's quite funny you say that because I went through exactly the same. <laughs> so, 
same well, I think thing. that's the thing, you know, then that, that, that thing of having a confident producer who would come in and say, no, you can do that. Mm. And we go, no, I can't. Fuck you, granddad. You know, like, <laughs> not doing that, not a granddad, because he was only like a few years older. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, um, you know, like, I'm not going to do that. Like, that, that's not how punk bands do it or like how this guy did it or whatever. Uh, and then, and then being like, oh, no, actually, yeah, that sounds really good. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, Okay, yeah, cool. Let's do more of that. Yeah, uh, you win. Uh, uh, and, and yeah, the door kind of opens. And and, and the creative freedom that that suddenly gives you, mm. you know, uh, like, because it, it's funny, like I suppose when you're a band that age and you're all in the room together playing and everybody, you, you're almost trying to shout the loudest right. with your instrument, you know, um, or like say the cleverest thing with your <laughs> instrument, you know, or with your vocal um uh, and uh, in a sense that's sort of like an argument <laughs> you know? yeah. um and i suppose that's where that energy comes from as everybody trying to not one up each other but like trying to be like no this thing <laughs> you know yeah this is the thing in the song like you know um Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm maybe I'm discovering that I was just a bit of a twat. <laughs> <laughs> Can be a possibility you know, at that I, age. I, I, I think I think all I think everybody's like that yeah. at that age, aren't they? You're just you're just trying to show off. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, talking about showing off, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and break down what I thought this song this song was about, and it's it's weird actually because it's like I guess like one of the things that you know doing this podcast and this stuff. I enjoy doing is going back, especially when it's an album that you've listened to like a million times, it's going back and being like, right now I'm going to really listen to it. You know what I mean? Like now I'm going to like, you know, and it's, and it's funny because what you were saying about the idea, like the word roseability and all of the, everything around it, um, it does kind of conjure up an image, but you know, I, as I was listening to it, I was thinking it's actually like the antithesis of the image that it's actually conjuring up for me, if that makes sense. Um, in a sense, it's like, well, you know, so I've got like, you know, what is roseability? So referencing Gertrude Stein, who said a rose is a rose, is a rose, basically. Um, sometimes something just is what it is. It's not always wrapped up in like romanticism, etc. Like a rose is a flower, you know, it's, it is a rose. So it's that kind of detachment of meaning from an object, which I feel like is kind of what the song is about, you know, and, and you know, she said, um, you know, that's enough. <laughs> Gertrude Stein said, that's enough, like, come on get a grip, like that's enough now. Um, and saying that also quite, quite nicely works with the idea of like rose tinted glasses, because it's that, you know, there's a, a, that nostalgic kind of look back, you know, what does it serve? What does it actually teach you? Like nothing, it doesn't exist. You know, there is no rose ability. There's nothing to gain from it. Um, and it, so yeah, it's kind of ironic because people would probably hear it and think that it's a romantic song when it actually isn't. So it works on quite a few levels there. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, like listening back to it and looking it through it with, with that lens has put like a different spin on it for me, if you know what I mean. Even yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I, I, again, it's something like, it's funny, like I, when we were doing the, when we were doing these listening parties with, with it and, and with, with um, remote part, mm. uh, almost thinking about that stuff for the first time because when you're in the process of making a record like that you're sort of i suppose quite you're you're more kind of thinking about what you're doing yeah you know like what's your you know what again like not necessarily that sort of trying to shout the loudest but like also just trying to do your bit right or 
or well or or add something to the song um and and you're not necessarily analyzing everything else everybody else is doing or what what its meaning is or what's going on with it you you're trying to like you yeah you're, you're trying to make your voice heard in the conversation i suppose in that way and, and uh, i i think it took a, it, it, it it took quite a few years before you start to look back at those records because you know fuck anything else you, you make that record and you go on to the next record <clears> you know and then you you don't look back at the one before really you play it live or whatever and it takes on a different thing <clears> you know a different purpose and so it's not until much later in life that's sort of gone back to even thinking about what any of the songs are about or what, what you know, why did I do that? Why did Colin do that? Why, what was Roddy talking about there? And it's, it, it, it's quite interesting doing these things and hearing other people's perception of those and thinking, I wonder if that is actually right. And I mean, it might be the case that you are, it might be the case that you're yeah. not. And it might it's be probably the case the that in some... It's probably in some cases where Roddy would be like, actually, maybe that is. I mean, I don't know if he even remembers sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, I mean, obviously there will, there will be a, there will be a, a point. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, it, yeah, I mean, I just keep giving the same answer, but there is, I suppose, like, a, and I, I remember him saying this over and over again at the time, like this idea of, you know, the, the, they're kind of open to interpretation in that way. Mm. You know, it's not that they're not they're not over earnest. They're not they're not. Um, yes, they're vague enough in a, in a sense that they can mean lots of different things. And I suppose that they, it's it's quite a weird concept, isn't it? I suppose actually, if someone's writing something that like has clearly has a meaning to them but they're they're also aware that it's can be taken in a lot of different ways Mm. that that actually there's something quite brave about that in a sense i suppose like i suppose you you almost allowing people to do that and think that of you yeah (laughs) you know i mean that's my person saying this i think it's quite a brave thing to do i mean it's like it's something that when i started to write lyrics for the first mm. time is starting to think about I need to be really clear <laughs> about what I'm trying to say. I don't want people to get the wrong end of the stick, you know. Um, uh, and, actually, and actually sometimes that doesn't really come across that well, you know. Mm. Um, it comes across as say a bit trite or a bit a bit over earnest. And and so it, it's a, it's something I've always been a bit all, in awe of, honestly, with, with people like Roddy and people like Morrissey and, and Stipe and these people who I think are, are great lyricists but also still have one foot in the camp of it also being an instrument and also being a, a, a musical thing as yeah, well and, and the fact that that what what can be a poem can also be a song but also maybe when it's in a song it has a completely different meaning because the music gives it, gives it a different meaning or a different feeling and can be interpreted a completely different way. Yeah, for sure. I mean... I mean, that's my favourite kind of art is the one where there's enough room basically for you to put yourself, you know, in it basically. Um, you know, that's why I love all like Lynch stuff and everything that's kind of a bit mm-hmm. abstract, which doesn't, you know, where you're kind of bringing yourself to it and it just, it's kind of that lean forward, um, 
element. Well, art is a you know good art. I think oh, it's such a subjective term, isn't it? But like, I mean, is <laughs> is where where it causes a conversational thought or some yeah. sort of converse, uh, you know, some sort of cognitive behaviour. Uh, and I think that if you you know if if you walk away from something or they listen to a scene and and you start to question what it means or how it makes you feel and you're not really sure about what it is that makes the and you, you start to really delve into that. Um it, 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 that that's good art to me. Mm. Like it, whether you like it or not, I think it, it's something that makes you think um or have a feeling or have you know and sometimes sometimes you know people try to connect with with a song, don't they? They try to be so over earnest I think oh this will connect with people. Yeah. Because it's so from the heart, you know, and sometimes actually I find that has the opposite effect. Because you you know you get that instant, yeah, I know what he's saying, yeah, me too. But then you don't really think about it again. Yeah, it's true. It's gone in an instant because it, it, it's too obvious almost. Like and, and if you're not then go walking away from it sort of confused almost yeah yeah <laughs> um not even necessarily confused but almost like sometimes even even a bit um it's just a oh, humble's the wrong word maybe but like but you know sometimes if you if you've seen a a masterpiece or, or, or you, and you look at it and you're like i don't know if i do understand it yeah like what Maybe you're not supposed to. <laughs> what does it mean? Yeah. And that that feeling where you're kind of like, why don't I get it, or why don't I understand it? You know, and that and that self doubt that that sometimes can cause, in a sense, that that in a sense is you know is is quite brilliant. Yeah. About art, I think you know it does it does create that not just conversation about the art itself, but conversation about yourself. Mm. Um, where you, where you're like. It, it, yeah, it's not just making you think about what you're hearing or what you're seeing or what you're reading. It's also making you think about yourself and how that makes you feel. And I think that that that's what great uh, does. And I, I, you know, without blowing smoke up his ass, I probably never say it to his face, but I do think that that's you know that's that's something that I think he's he's always had a real uh, mastery of. And I think it's it's, it's something that. Um, yeah, but I was quite envious of, really. Mm. Well, it's funny. It's a nice segue, actually, into the next track, um, which is Idea Track. So we've already talked um, a bit about Idea Track already, um, and that was actually quite important um, to the album. Um, I mean, here with me, like, you know, I love the fact it goes from these quite nice, like, pretty bits to these big, heavy, distorted parts. Um, and it's almost quite poppy as well, you know, even though you've got some heavy distortion behind it and, you know, you've got some violins at the end and it all sounds a bit, you know, lost and lonely, very raw and Roddy's small vocals coming in. It almost feels a bit traditional at the end there, like a bit folky. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting song here. Um, is there anything like, I know we've spoken about it before, um, 
but yeah, I mean, I don't have, I know like the lyrics, <laughs> lyrics here, um, I just, it's like someone reading out a letter, um, almost. And then, yeah, uh, pretty much. Um, I haven't really got any actual interpretation for, the, for these, um, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, it's, it's a funny song because it came together so piecemeal. Right. You know, like it was, it was very much like, you know, the name suggests what it is. It was uh, a bunch of ideas, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and came together. It was very much first, our first attempt at a kind of a studio song, you know, in a sense that we, we, we had pieces of it. And we, it was unfinished. Yeah. Um, and going into the studio with an unfinished song, not sure what we were going to do, was quite a new experience, mm. you know, and quite a terrifying one at that. Um, and so this, this, certainly musically, it has that, you know, it's all over the place as a song, you know, it's quite, uh, and it, it's very, layered in a sense that you know we we were literally i'd say bit by bit coming up with what we were going to do on the song as we were making it you know it was like we had a very basic kind of verse idea and a basic chorus idea and then it was very much kind of pieced together after that so uh, you know i think throughout that session it was like well let's try this let's try that let's try something else here and let's try another sort of Canon backing vocal here and another one here and uh, and uh, it was probably the most interesting one to record mm. certainly because it was you know we were really experimenting in that way um, and and really experimenting with harmony a lot yeah um, and and um, what what latterly became a really crucial part of the band I think mm. you know um, vocal harmony and and how that could lift the song and how that could uh, be because we were a rock band you know, mm-hmm. we were a punk rock band we were like it was guitar bass drums and vocal and it was like make it quiet or loud yeah. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and fast and then this was like it, it was much more intricate in a way yeah, and, and it really led us into thinking about songwriting in a different way mm. and thinking about songwriting in a different way and how we would work in a studio and how we would piece things together and how actually the most important thing was the the, the melody and the harmonics and not the speed or the dynamics as much, you know. And um, and although, the, although we could use those as tools to, to make a point, essentially, they were no longer the thing that we were hiding behind. I think it was, but this is, this is where the band's going now. It's like, we're, we're going to, it's going to be about, uh, you know, about how those melodies interact with each other and certainly in a musical sense. Mm. Um, and it, it was a really sea change moment for the band. I think that, that song and, and, and in terms of us. Yeah. It's, uh, having the confidence to attempt that, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's it's a strange song because I'm always like, whenever it comes on, I'm always like, yeah, like this is, like, do I like this song? And then by the end of it, I'm like, yeah, I do like this song. Um, it's funny, it's funny because, yeah, like, I, I, you know, we, again, it's one we could never play it live. Yeah. Because there's so many layers to it. That I could never do it justice. And, and, and I would always be like, well, that's maybe just not that good a song because, <laughs> you know, a good song you can play 
anyway, and it's a good song. Yeah, and it, and it probably is in terms of songwriting. It's probably not the cleverest song we've ever written, or the best song we've ever written. But it has it's it, it, it's a sort of focal point on the record in a, in, a, in a lot of ways because it has such a well, so many ideas yeah. going on in it that really, um, and and it, it is it led on to so many other things for us. I think in terms of the way we worked as a in in, in studio and in songwriting and in in and arranging what we were doing and 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 getting out of the kind of formulas we'd been in and um mm. yeah it's what it, it it's it's exactly as it sort of says in the tin it's an idea yeah. that was fully formed in the studio and probably will never be the same again yeah. you know um uh, and yeah it does have that i suppose classically idle world thing of like it has a a, a, a clever and hooky lyric over a sort of hooky guitar part and and sort of you know it, it has that um yeah it just has those ingredients that make it quintessentially an idle world song mm-hmm. sometimes probably at the time was the most ambitious thing we probably achieved, uh, attempted yeah it's it's great um so the next track is let me sleep next to the mirror So I really like this one and I always forget about it. I don't know about you. Again, it's quite bright and uplifting guitar wise. Um, Roddy's vocals are quite sullen and downtrodden, but there's like a bit of hope in the chorus and it feels like a bit like a ballad piece almost. Um, It's got quite a radio friendly chorus as well and it ends on a really sad note, which I really like. Um, I mean, I always did think of it as a ballad, I have to say as well, which is weird when you listen to it because it's so fast. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's, um, yeah, it, it, it was definitely something that we'd not really attempted before in a sense of, you know, like trying, we were we were becoming more comfortable with doing that kind of thing, I suppose. It's like we don't have, not everything has to be sort of noisy and shouty. I mean, like it can be about melodics and, it, you know, we were, we were all fans of bands like that. Mm. You know, we just, you know, bands like R.E.M., for example. So I'd say that's probably a big influence on this as a, as a, as a song, in terms of songwriting. And, and, and listen, you know, when, when I, I remember, do, I did definitely think about it as being quite a soppy ballad at the time. Mm. And then, you know, listening to it now, it's like this incredibly fast kind of pop song. Um, but it's, yeah, it does have that melancholy at the end. I mean, uh, uh, and, you know, we weren't necessarily particularly melancholy people. We were having the time of our lives, uh, you know, to some extent, you know, but at the same time, you're not, we're not, we're also weren't all walking around like we're on some sunbeams, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We all, yeah, like, like anybody, you know, we all had a internal, uh, yeah, stuff battles or gripes or anything, you know, that everybody has in life. Mm. Um, you know, we were very fortunate we were having a great time, but you know, obviously we weren't not every song was gonna be about everything's wonderful all the yeah. time, you know. So I think uh, the, the, the inherently I think the way that we were as people quite sort of introverted and um 
you know, we weren't a sort of typical rock band, let's put it yeah. that way. <laughs> you know, well, it's, it's um, nice. I, I suppose was was we just came across in our, that in our personalities, I suppose, of, of being people who were, were, were there is a melancholy mm. in everybody. Right? I think that you know we've all been quite. Certainly, I have been over the years quite open about how the, you know we're all quite melancholic people at times. Yeah, and 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 I think that of course that's going to come across in the way that you write, whether it be lyrically or musically. And I think you you can write something that, as I say, had the the dreaded J word, John, yeah. or be quite poppy or melodic. But at the same time, the the if you're writing that when you're in a melancholic place, there is going to be that element to it. And I think. I think most of our songs have that in it. To be honest, I think that's just who we are. We're not. We're not all, you know, mm. crying into our cornflakes every morning. But you know, sometimes yeah. we're like we are. Yeah, we're also not all just walking around smiling all day long. You know, we're, we're, there. There is the. It's funny because you you're in an incredibly fortunate position when you're when you're getting to do what we got to do, um, and you almost feel bad sometimes when you don't feel good. Yeah. Um, and it, because you're like, well, I'm, I should be having a great time. Yeah. Why aren't I I'm getting to do this for yeah. a living? And I'm and I'm, why am I not? And then then that almost makes you feel worse because mm. you, know, you feel guilty almost for not feeling good mm. or for feeling. Or for having any of the normal things that people that age or any age have, like you know, uh, self-preservation or jealousy or, or, or you know, being a show-off or mm. these things that we've talked about. You know, uh, it's all, that's human nature. It's okay to be like yeah. that, but you don't necessarily know that or are self-aware enough at that point in your life, and 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 so the, there is probably. What I certainly, definitely, almost definitely didn't realise at the time, um, a melancholy in you that, that that you may not appear outwardly, but that that, that definitely is inwardly, mm. um, and it's an odd, odd existence, you know. Being a touring musician is, you know, it's well documented now, but it's quite a, 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 it's quite a bipolar existence. I bet, yeah. You know the ups and the downs. You know, um, uh, you know, to from an adrenaline rush of being on a stage in front of loads of people to to sitting in a hotel room on your own, you know, living out of a bag, never seeing your friends and family, and like you know, there's, there, there, you know, uh, of course, uh, you know, I'm aware that we've been massively fortunate and we've had lots of wonderful opportunities and and done some amazing things and and. You know, not for the last minute do I want to complain about my life you know, because you know, there are plenty of people who've had much, much worse times. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Um, uh, you know, and we've, we've been very fortunate in that way, but that doesn't mean that you don't have internal sadness. Yes, exactly. You know, like, and, uh, and I think that most creative people tend to struggle with that. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's, well, it's quite well, well known. Um, uh, and, and I think that that does come across in, 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 in the music, certainly. And I think certainly in the lyrics as yeah. well, I think, um, it's, I suppose if you make music in any kind of honest way and a sense of like, you're not thinking necessarily about it. Mm. Um, I'll go back to what I said earlier about how you, you, you know, as you get older and as you start to write more and you put some, you know, you've been doing it for longer, you start to be more cognitive about how you write and what you're doing. Uh, sometimes in a self-doubt kind of way and sometimes in a way of like, either better what I've done before or whatever it is. But um, when you, when you're, in that frame of mind as we were back then and where, where you're just it's just coming out of you i suppose in a way that, that, that there is an honesty there to it and and you can't really hide yeah those inner you know frailties or, or things that maybe you're not that proud of you know or whatever and so yes i suppose that melancholy comes out yeah and and what you're writing for sure i mean also like just the subject matter here it feels like it's like a relationship where there's been like a communication breakdown like the morning after an argument or something and the idea that your your partner might criticize you or reflect on you you know isn't always taken well um it's like they're together but like not really you know they're talking about 10 more years and i wonder like is it because they've had kids or something like you know you only take 10 more years um but yeah i quite it's it's quite sad here because um and i like the line like for every word that i write they won't mean much um as barricades you know like it doesn't matter. Like, you know, he, and he's still, he's still vulnerable. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it kind of plays into, as you were saying, like that kind of, you know, that, that's, that's the melancholia, that kind of sadness and internal, um, struggle that people sometimes feel even when they're with someone. Um, yeah, it's got that tone to it. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing that like, nobody's happy all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, you, you can be in, the most fortunate of positions of having, you know, uh, and and be lucky enough to have wonderful people around you and, and still be deeply sad yeah. at times. Um, uh, and and I think that's human nature, unfortunately. You know, and, uh, it's something that a lot of, well, they used to say one in four people, didn't they? It's like one in one people. Something everybody's <laughs> going to feel like that. Like, and I think you, you, the, the music and writing music and writing songs of of any kind, I think is 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 sometimes the only way that some people are able to get that out. Yeah. Next up, listen to what you got. It 
funny you were saying earlier about like this being like the kind of like punky um, song because I feel like this has kind of risen up, up the ranks for me um, over time. Uh, it's, even though it feels very punky and raw, you've you know and you've got that kind of sweet verse um, and again another great chorus and the melody against the guitar. Um, and yeah, I like the poppy guitar vibe. Well, like you know what we're saying before, like Roddy's being depressing, <laughs> like <laughs> over the top. Um, a little bit and yeah it's got some cool screams big fan of a good scream um <laughs> and yeah it's like a strange punky type song but then at the same time like not really um yeah that's how i kind of see it it's, it's an odd it's an odd one it's one we did with bob actually um out in chicago when we'd when we'd sort of done the majority of the record already with dave by this point and we we, we kind of went out and we had sort of a, a bit of a like the record's kind of done, you know. We we can play around a little bit now, and there was a, the, we were big fans of, as I say, like Shellac and 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 what he, you know, what Bob had done, and um, certainly the guitar sounds on those records and that kind of buzzsaw kind of like you know almost metallic kind of really aggressive sound that Albini had in in Shellac, um, and and you know certainly was an attempt to try and do something like that. Um, but at the same time, you know, this, from the, the things we'd learned from making the rest of the record, I suppose, of, of like, we don't, you know, using uh, a Rhodes, I think it was, to, to do the main melody in it. Um, uh, and, and, yeah, maybe maybe in a, a previous incarnation of the band, I suppose we would have that just would have been a straight ahead. Here's one guitar, one noisy guitar part, yeah. and uh, you know, like probably played it even faster uh, and just rattled through it. But um, it was, it, I suppose we we sort of took what we'd kind of learned from the sessions with Dave and and how we could we could try different instruments and do different things and. It does have an odd quality sonically that song, I think, because it, yeah, it's almost like a an old school. It's almost like a hope is important kind of idle world song, but then, but then played with kind of the ideas and confidence that we've gained from making the record with Dave, you know. Um, and it's yeah, it's an it's an unusual one. I'd say I've never really like we played it live quite a lot. It was quite a fan favorite for a while because it's. Yeah, it's quite an easy one to play live right. as well. <laughs> but uh, 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 but uh, it's um, yeah, it's, it's when when you go back to them and it's when you do things like this and you don't really when you're just playing them in a rehearsal room or a gig or you like or when, even when you're recording them, you're not really thinking about them in the way that you do now when you sort of deconstruct it and you listen back to it and go, that's, that's a really weird sound. Actually, it's, it's really strangely put together. Like, what the fuck were we thinking? But actually, I mean, it works. You know, it's like it's 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 really odd. Yeah. Like, um, it's a really peculiar um, arrangement. It's a really uh, sonically quite odd, but quite interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 we we were really like I had this whole record through. I think just finding finding a feat and being excited about the opportunities we were given to like try new things and do, you know, we were constantly kind of expanding our horizons in that way. And, and, um, you know, by the time we got to this last session and, 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 you know, we were in Chicago 
you know, we'd never, I, I don't think I'd ever been to America before, right. you know, and, and, you know, like that idea of how place can really influence, you know, what you're doing artistically, I think. And it really, really did on, on those few songs that we did in that session. Um, it was, yeah, it was a really fun session. Mm. That one actually just really different, um, different ideas being thrown around and, uh, and a different, again, another different way for us to work and, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was exciting. It was like, you know, that, that there is something in that record, like, as I say, that inexplicable thing that seemed to, people seem to attach to, which, uh, and I suppose it is that, it's that, that sort of excitement and that weirdly confidence first that we had, but also still that kind of almost kind of fragility and awkwardness in some of the things we were doing still as yeah. well, even though we were doing them at a level where they were sounding much better and sounding much more together. There was still, there was still an air of awkwardness and, and jerkiness and like, like in wooden ideas and, and in that song where, where, where things are quite unusual um, because we, we yeah, we were learning. Yeah, well, I think that kind of what makes it slightly um, a bit timeless is that it is, you know, it is interesting, and there is like some slightly odd bits. That's why I think you know it still feels still feels fresh today, really, if that makes sense. Um, it works, I was surprised fine. that it did. I have to say, when I listened to it, and I was like, I'm, I'm, when, I, when I had to listen to it to do something, and I, I went through mm-hmm. it, and I was. I was actually surprised, but you know, I, I wasn't sitting there going, "Oh God!" <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, didn't I was like, "Actually, oh, this is actually quite interesting. Oh, we should maybe try something like this yeah. again." Uh, you know, it, 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 it's it's it, it's quite free mm. as a record in a lot of yeah, ways, for sure. Um, yeah, and yeah, like lyrically here again, um, I like the idea that it's like you know, I've put here like you know, it's like taking stock of what you have you know, um, or taking advice, but what, what do you really have? Nothing. It's this kind of suggestion of loneliness again, that maybe no one can help you in your, in your time of need. So you might as well be talking to yourself. Um, uh, yeah, there's something like defiant about it as well. Um, but also quite, quite sad. Defiant's a word that like, yeah, as I say, like when I used to taunting quite a lot earlier on, but I think defiant is definitely, there's definitely an element of that the whole way through the record, I think. And that, that's something that, I think it's one of the big reasons that it connected with so many kind of people at the time. You know, I think that it, what, probably the most punk thing about the record was the lyrics on it, even though they were like, you know, quite... Um, yeah, distorted guitars and... They're, they're, they're very intelligent and they're very, um, well, woven together, but they are, there is an air of defiance in them, definitely. But that's what I took from it. Anyway. Yeah for sure um so yeah now we come on to the next track which is actually it's darkness you thought the fire could protect you from it why have you been so why have you been ill informed i thought that fire could protect me from everything you're just too colorful but actually it's darkness i don't know what i'm so rod with this is that actually a metronome (laughs) that it kind of, it opens it opens out with. 
I think it's like a Casio keyboard okay, again. Right. I think I think it was like a little like you know one of those little beats that you got. I think it might even be the same one that we used on the on one of those. I can't actually remember. Right. Um, I think it was like a little drum machine or something okay. that we that we found. Yeah. Um, and then. Uh, yeah, it was. A, uh, I think it would. I think I remember the lyric had come from a review. I think someone had said that the, uh, the band had shed a shade of shyness when they'd seen us play. Right. Like a, I think it was maybe at Tea in the Park. Okay. Um, and it was a. a, a I remember. Um, I remember being like, "Well, that's a great idea." Yeah. For a song. It's a great <laughs> line. Um, poor Dave having to automate all the S's down <laughs> in volume. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, again, it's quite a, a, quite a unusually jerky yeah. song when you listen to it that you don't really, you don't think about it at the time, you know, again, it was just writing words to write another pop song, you know, uh, it was, uh, and it, it's funny listening back to now and thinking like we were thinking that they were pop songs, you know, like, cause it, I suppose, you know, you say pop song to someone and they do, they think of, you know. Beyonce or something like that. <laughs> yeah. To us, they were like pop songs. You know, they were like they were catchy pop songs. Um, especially, especially that. Um, mm. But yeah, it, it, uh, I, I, I don't really remember how how the rest of it came together. I just, I do, I do remember um, thinking that it sounded a bit like Thin Lizzy. At the time. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to check out. Is there a specific <laughs> track you're thinking of? That I, no, I think it was at? just the guitar okay. part. I remember thinking it sounded a bit like. Right. Okay. Just in. It was that thing a bit. I suppose at the time, like that was me as I sort of talked about earlier, realizing because it was a later one on the record that I didn't have to write the guitar part as a one part yeah. thing. It could be a like a top line and a bottom line essentially, you know. And I think that that was that was one where I sort of done that for the first time mm. really um written it like that and it had become um sort of the hook of the song at the beginning that that, that um uh, and uh, it was a, a new a new thing and then i remember thinking oh no i've just written a thing <laughs> well uh, i mean i like something but like yeah, so, so, uh, i think that is a thing a song. i don't think it actually is but it does it's definitely <laughs> Reminiscent. It feels like, yeah, because your guitar parts here just like are quite interesting in a sense. They feel like they almost shouldn't fit. <laughs> yeah, it does, and it kind of pulls me, pulls me in. Um, and I always use, I don't always, but like, there's, I always use the word like angular, um, which I'm never really sure what it means. Yeah, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a very <laughs> well trodden word in that kind of music, yeah. isn't it? angular. Um, but yeah, they are. They're, 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 they're sort of, they're, they're very. Um, jarring in yeah. a way from each other because there's this kind of like I, I do remember like I suppose because as I say it was like the first time I tried really doing that of writing a, a lead line and a, and a sort of jerkier kind of rhythm mm-hmm. part and, and not really thinking about how the two intertwined mm-hmm. you know and miraculously them kind of working yeah. um, and it was again like as I say we were learning we were trying new things we were we were um, it, it it's what it's one of those things. Yeah, I look often look back at that record and I look back at the guitar parts on it specifically for me, and I think about like, what was I thinking about when I did that? Like, what, why? Where did that come from? I've no idea how that, you know, because it's not, you know, I would never approach it in a classically trained way. Yeah. The guitar it was very much I would put my hands on it and I would do stuff until it sounded like I wanted it to sound. Mm. You know, I would just it was kind of trial and error almost. You know, it would come out like that. And and that song specifically, yeah, was was very much like a. I think we sort of 
multi-track demoed it almost for the first time and it was like well it needs a it needs a lead line right. you know almost um that's the kind of song that it's going to be and, and it was a new thing really i suppose mm. um i think by that point we might have even had a friend of ours who was going to play live with us who'd come and sort of jammed in the rehearsal room with us as well so it allowed me to do that um and it was yeah it, it was they are very jerky and almost shouldn't work together mm. parts um but again maybe that was um dave working his magic getting them to yeah work together. yeah potentially and like yeah again the big choruses and i like how your guitar like bends um bends its way in as if it's like you know it's always like slightly out of tune or something like that which you know it's great and again it kind of keeps i think me actually i think actually that came from me I, I, like I, I had a sort of a running joke with dave where i would tend to, i would try to play it was one of the songs he'd recorded with the Manics oh, right. that I was a fan of, and I think I used to try and try and play it really badly all the time. <laughs> and then I might I might have stolen the idea. <laughs> Stuck it in. <laughs> I'm totally honest. I, I seem to remember it might be it might be something to do with motorcycle emptiness. I think um, that might have been where the idea came from. Right. Yeah. It's again like um, I really like this song. I, I I don't know. Like you know, again, like lyrically, is it about. Is it literally about being shy, like how the other person thinks by being perhaps being loud and abrasive or, you know, the fire causing light as a tension um, that, that that could shed a shade of shyness, but instead it, it doesn't, it doesn't really help. Um, and I don't know, I've put here, like, are they both scared of something? Is one scared of the attention and the other scared of not having attention, of being able to speak up, speak out? Um, and, you know, it's not just a light either. It's like it's fire. So, you know, that's obviously kind of symbolizes something that's consuming, that's dangerous and uncontrollable. So perhaps is it about like rage and how people deal with their insecurities, their darkness? Um, and yeah, I like the idea, like, I like the little bit with, with the piano. It's like there's a bit of reminiscing about photographs and how the person in the photograph um, is maybe, I don't know, like the one they're conversing with, the one with the fire. Perhaps they're talking to themselves or something like that and they've been hurt. Um, I don't know. I just generally like the whole imagery that it kind of conjures up in that sense. Yeah, I th- like I, it's funny as, as I was saying the song. Like the the the, the main hook lyric came from a review, mm. like of the band, like of, uh, and 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 the idea for it came from that. So like, and I think it was a sort of you know working backwards from that and a, a sense of like what what does that mean? Yeah, to himself, you know. But then before then you know, the song almost taking itself down whatever avenue it went down. Um, and it wasn't always the way that songs were written, but it certainly was in that case, I think, with that one. Or certainly that was my understanding of how it was. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it, it was a, a sense of like, well, that's a that's an interesting sort of concept mm-hmm. for a song. Um, and And then, you know, as it was kind of pieced together, it kind of took on a different... Or a longer meaning in a sense that um, again can be interpreted in a multitude of different ways as usual. Yeah, it's um, yeah, again, it's another. Um, I mean, you released this as a single, so you, you know, you guys must have liked it. <laughs> must have liked it too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. Like going back to, it, I'm surprised we did. Right. But um, uh, I can't remember the thought process behind that. Honestly, I think I can't remember whether it was our idea or the label's right. idea. Okay. This is the single. Um, I honestly can't. It's got remember. quite a sing-along um, chorus, if you know what I mean. 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely yeah. does. I mean, it was catchy and it was hooky. And I think, you know, like I think that and Mistake Pageant, we thought were the two really hooky ones on the record. Mm-hmm. And then obviously we, we all fell out with Mistake Pageant <laughs> quickly after the process. Well, that's, that's coming up. But before that, we've got mm-hmm. Rusty. You know, as I listen to Rusty, I like how it feels quite dirty, um, and you know, Roddy's vocals almost um, monotonous, slightly robotic, and then the pre-chorus, um, a bit, a bit like Gabba Gabba, almost like speeding everything up a bit, and then yeah, the climactic kind of chorus, um, some cool guitar pick in here on on your part. Um, I like the way the bass is all dark and dirty, and the drums feel alive, and there's some nice harmonies there, um, and the ending as well. That breakdown is still quite filthy and. And dirty as it gets, even as it gets smaller and smaller. Um, yeah, so again, it's a bit of a different song, right? Yeah, I mean, this is one we did with Bob again in, in the last session in Chicago, and it, it, was, it was very much, I think, certainly almost kind of inspired around a, a, the beat to start with this one. It was very much kind of like we're listening to a lot of shellac, obviously, and I think um, it, it's sort of the most sort of post rock kind of inspired one in the record. So, um, uh, you know, you know, bands like Fugazi and Shlack, like those those kind of bands really inspired that song. Um, and yeah, definitely has a, a completely different kind of structure and 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 feel than the rest of the record. Actually, kind of almost sticks out a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think. But um, it, it, it it was us kind of, I suppose, allowing ourselves the indulgence of having had that first session with Bob where it was almost completely kind of post-rocky and weird and, uh, you know, roomy and odd sounding and, and then, and then going on and, you know, obviously making essentially a pop record. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, we sort of come back to the end and been like, okay, now, now we can sort of indulge ourselves a bit and make a sort of post-rock segment to the record, you know? Um, so certainly musically, that was what we were sort of aiming at with that. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's. I like how it, again it feels like quite different from everything else um, on the track, and yeah, I think you can tell that it's uh, as you said, it's it's come from that that session. I think they all those kind of songs have a certain, I don't know, like grittiness or something to them, um, perhaps. Um, of course, the next one is your favourite track, "Mistake Pageant." <laughs> Mistake pageant, mistakenly written, <laughs> well, whilst whilst very drunk, um, uh, and doing like jamming covers of Eagle Eye Cherry, um, <laughs> um, uh, and various other Bon Jovi hits. I think. Um, well, we were very very drunk, and David left us alone for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. um, and then we, yeah, we. I think it came together in, in like half an hour. Right. 
And we're like, this is great. It's so immediate. It's so catchy. This is going to be the single. It's, it's great. Let's let's record it. Ditched the other song, which I've no idea what it was, um, and and recorded this one instead against, against the advice. But it takes some time, I must add. Um, and uh, yeah, rapidly, sort of in the following months, became a band sort of what's more the opposite of favorite <laughs> uh, it was definitely the one that we were like oh, whoa, what are you thinking? um it's just i mean like we are talking about jaunty and yeah. it was like that, that and it was possibly where that should have stopped okay, okay. <laughs> for me i mean like you know it, it's it, yeah it's it's a bit too um yeah i know i know what you mean like i've not it's not my favorite uh track on the album but i do think i feel like it's a nice quick song um and i like the fact that it like it's got quite an upbeat opening and then a bit of a sadder pre-chorus and i you know i like the harmonies um and the fact i don't know it feels like it's about like almost like the downside to fame um you know is it i don't know like it's a mistake that you're just being there like at this at a famous party or something like that um i don't know if it's about anyone in particular or anything but um yeah, I don't want to say you would probably think I don't know, like I mean, but as like not filler, but you know what I mean, like the fact that you've kind of <laughs> grown out of love with it. Um, but I still think I, I still mean, like it's definitely it. filler. It's definitely filler yeah. to me now. I think like it's funny, but like I, I, I mean, it, like yeah, it's got some really good hooks on it actually. But I just as as a song to me, it just yeah, I, I, yeah, it's fair. It, it's just one of those things that we. we, we hindsight is always a great thing and sometimes writing the song on the night before you record it in the studio when you're drunk is not necessarily the best idea <laughs> um, but uh, it was uh, I, I suppose that was the thing it was a media and it came together so quickly mm-hmm. and we're like oh wow it's come together really quickly and it's super catchy and, and let's just go for it uh, and you know it, it was a it was a calculated risk that, that in my opinion, backfired. <laughs> Although, like, not everybody's as hard as, hard as yeah. I am these days. I, say, uh, I think you're giving it a hard time. Hard. Like, <laughs> giving it a hard time you need to. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Well, we'll move on. We're coming to the end now. We've got two tracks. The next one is Quiet Crown. this song is you know we're kind of we're on the come down now like this is a bit more gentle and yeah there's that ghosty kind of you know wooing noise in the background the piano is here um and it feels like it's a bit more on the positive side of like melancholia um again quite ballady i guess um but still has like a, a bit of edge and it's you know there's a nice build up in there as well and i like how your um, guitar will kind of play around those main chords that just makes it you know, interesting and throwing in some interesting notes there. Um, and yeah, I like the fact that, you know, that the little, um, the ending 
uh, it's nice as well. Um, I hate using the word nice. It's so nothing. It doesn't mean anything, but, um, it's so, such a nothing word, but, uh, it's, I think it's because it just feels <laughs> like a lot different to, um, you know, you know, coming to this record of what you would have expected an Idle World record to be, if that makes sense at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a very unidable thing to do, that song. I mean, and it's, you know, that I think it's, it, it, yeah, it, 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 it's funny when I, because you have an idea of what a record is in your head after you've made it. And, and you, you know, you don't, I, I don't go really go back to them and listen to them a lot once we've finished mm-hmm. them, you know. So it's, and there's certain songs you play live and certain ones you don't often. So, like, Actually, when we, when I last listened through to the whole record and, and and realized that it ends on such a like two downbeat notes like that, it's it's because it, it, you know it, it is quite an upbeat record for most of it. It's quite a rock record, really. You know, yeah. and then actually the the last three songs are like a majorly cheesy pop song, and then two real downbeat moments. So it's quite it was it's funny listening back to it, that. That was the way we chose to end the record, but it just sort of worked. Yeah. Actually, it sort of it sort of, sort of teeters to a stop the record in a way. But I, I, like it, it's a really it's a song that actually at the time I wasn't that enamored mm. with actually but going back to it now and listening back to the record it's one that I think maybe we we've sort of forgotten for no real reason that we probably should go back to a bit more and probably will play a bit maybe when we're doing some of these anniversary shows it's it's actually it's actually a really good mm. song I think um, it, it's it's quite it's quite well woven together and it's got a, a sort of a fluidity to it which um it's it, it, it's almost a song that wouldn't necessarily be that out of place on Warning's Promises, yeah. um, like you know, quite far down the line. Uh, and it, it, it's funny, like people quite often say about the band that you know, like we've changed direction all the time and do this and do that and and make an unexpected record. But I think there are always hints there, mm. and that is definitely one of the hints of like what was to come, I think, with, with some of the songwriting going forward. I can't remember when we wrote it. It was maybe later on in the record that we did write right. it. Um, but it, it was definitely... And that's the thing, you go into a new record and you start to write and like the first four or five songs you write are almost like the songs that you've, you, you, you still had in your system from the last record that you probably should have put on that record, you know, mm. and then, then you kind of, you get them out of your system and then you scrap them and then you write the next record yeah. <laughs> um I, I, it was uh, weirdly that one kind of yeah it, it almost probably would have been more at home on the remote part i think or, or even one's promises mm-hmm. but it's um yeah i think actually listening back it's one of the ones that stood the test of time actually yeah i mean i i really like it i, I should say like is it about how great scotland is um because yeah, for people that don't know, I think there's an element of that in all <laughs> these songs. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, for people that don't know, that, that you know, that's something that Roddy's always been quite open about, yeah. quite quite vocal about, is the sense of place and and surroundings and 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 knowing where where from, not in a kind of you know flag waving yeah, kind of way, but yeah. like in a sense that you know, like it's it's that you know the influence that your surroundings and the your, your place and, and you know obviously like the Highlands in Australia and there had a big influence on the records that were made mm. laterally as well so I think 
yeah, there's there's definitely elements of that in a lot of the songwriting. Yeah, and it feels yeah. I think because earlier I said British, which um, God heaven strike me down. But yeah, for people that don't know, you're a Scottish <laughs> band. <laughs> if you haven't figured yeah, that out, I mean, already. essentially a Scottish band. I mean, I'm actually not Scottish, but I, uh, there are some Scottish bands, uh, so I'm, I'm accepted. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, I grew up in England. Right. <laughs> there we go. Um, but, and my family are Welsh, so it's like I, I am very much probably British. But, <laughs> you know, I do. I've been in Scotland for a long, long yeah. time. I have no intention of leaving. Well, no, that's fair <laughs> enough. Um, and yeah, just I like how the song feels like it's like he wants to go back into Scotland because, you know, it, he's meant to be unhappy. It sounds like it's almost like after a breakup again, like the partner's happy, he's realised he's he's just meant to be alone. So he's going to go back up to the good north where everything is better because it's the appropriate thing to do. Um, and like he does want to get back together, but everything is broken. Um, so it's quite sad, but again, in a weird way, it's like, I don't know, like a self-realisation or something like that. There's something strangely hopeful in its... Um, a depressing uh, state or whatever, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I mean, I would I would have to agree in a lot of ways. I think that 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 sort of sense of um, belonging and, and familiarity in your surroundings and your and your home, essentially, isn't it? Uh, like, is is really important mm. to people and I think that like it's it's something that's definitely identifiable in all of the songwriting. I think that that's certainly in that era of the band. Um you know that yeah we 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 were very much of a place, yes. you know. Um and and uh, part of that and part of being I suppose uh, even though we didn't all live in Edinburgh all the time or, or uh, certainly by then anyway, you know, that that sense of being a band that weren't part of the the London scene or or any of the other kind of scenes, you know, we, we very much were banned from a, a, from a, a different place. Who were a different. And I think a lot of actually a lot of the bands that we liked or were, were the music we identified with was let's say like American indie rock or other music that had come from somewhere mm-hmm. else. You know, that you that was, it's like it's almost exotic, isn't it? You know, because you don't. Because it's about a place that you don't know anything about, yeah. Um, and that, uh, and and there's something attractive about that. Um, and and so, you know, I think that that you know, yeah, identifying that that that, that sense of place and, and 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 belonging in that place and 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 the the uh, impact that has on on you as a person and how you write is is really really important yeah, definitely um yeah it's a it's a really nice song and I, I love like how i know you're saying it kind of like uh teeters to like a stop but um yeah i enjoy the way this especially compared to like you know if you play the record again and you're straight in with little discourage um you know i like the whole journey um and and the place basically where, you know, Quiet Crown um, sits within this, which leads us nicely to uh, Bronze Medal. It felt cold inside, so we 
yeah, I mean, it's, I love this song. Um, I love the opening and the, you know, that reverb, the rawness. And in a way, the whole song feels like it's about to fall apart any second, but in a good way, it's quite fragile. Um, and I compare it to like, and you might be like, you know, this might be way off the mark, but almost like something like a Sigur Rós track or something like that. Um, cause it sounds almost live as well. And it's really, I think it's quite, you know, it's a beautiful song and I like it much more than I'm older now. Um, and you know, again, with uh, the piano, it feels very gentle, you know, very reflective. Um, you know, you've got some lovely uh, guitar playing by yourself there. Um, and you know, and also it feels like, you know, you know, you're aware of like when to come in and when to give it space, um, which really makes a difference. So yeah, it's a really beautiful ending. Um, and I think it shows a lot of, you know, just, it's nice to have like a diverse, um, something a bit different, basically to kind of end the record here. Um, and I feel that's quite bold to take a step like that. I know you did it like happy to be here tonight and all this before, but, um, this feels like a real like step up. Um, yeah. I mean, how, how do you feel about it? Looking back on it? I think like, I, 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 I think again, it was that culmination of everything we kind of learned on this record of, of how to weave melodies together a little bit more and how to, it was, you know, I suppose okay to veer away from our normal instruments and, and to, to try new things. And, um, uh, uh, I can't even remember how we wrote it. I think it, I think it was written very much. I think because we did an original version of this um, quite differently with with mm. Bob again at the beginning of the session was uh, that was was much more kind of like echoey and post rocky and and weird, um, and then we'd kind of realised that okay, what we, we took from that was that actually yeah, there is a kind of cool kind of haunting kind of space to it. But actually, the way that we'd recorded the rest of the record had these kind of little moments of instrumentation and other things that were kind of weaving and out that that were a bit more ambitious, maybe. I mean, it's not, you know, looking back and now, listening back to it now, it's not, doesn't sound necessarily that ambitious. But to us at the time, as a sort of punk rock band, it was quite ambitious. So, you know, I think, I think being able to, it's funny there's been a few songs on each record that have been done like that where we've done various versions of them and, and we've taken sort of the good bits of each version and they've finally come together and same when remote pirate was american english that that happened with with you know working on it with lenny k first and it had a spoken word section in the middle of it and but, but it was originally an acoustic song that turned into this kind of he kind of encouraged us to build it a little bit more into you know putting the beat behind it and, and, and build it into a sort of a band song in the way that it was. It was still quite avant-garde at that point, but mm. it, when it when it got when we got to re-recording it with Dave, we took all of those elements and, and then made it more, I guess, pop. But and I, I think there was a sense of that with, with bronze metal as well, of just taking the elements of, of that original Bob session and, and it having that kind of dark kind of sparse guitar and and mm-hmm. where the vocals sat but actually then bringing in like you know in fact i think we might have even used parts of the original bob recording on it i can't actually remember okay. and then adding in piano and adding in these other things that made it more um it just made it sit better with the record i think and it gave gave it a bit more 
direction and and uh, um yeah that, that that i suppose something we played a lot with you picked up on earlier that, that was that that idea of what even though they were quite melancholy they were quite hooky sort of poppy melodies that were running underneath this kind of mel- melancholy mm. um which was something that uh, you know as a fan of uh, rem being able to do like incredibly well you know listening to i mean like even automatic for the people you know sort of big hit pop record that they made is really dark and yeah. slow and um and and broody you know um apart from one song <laughs> in the middle that sort of speeds it up um it's a really sort of downbeat record mm-hmm. um you know and i think that that was a sort of a nod to that definitely um and i suppose yeah to those influences that we talk about like even even the sort of popular more melodic ones like rem they are incredibly melodic uh, like melancholic mm-hmm. melodies um you know i think that uh, you you can you can get that across with a very pop melody, like ABBA with the masters at that, you know, like yeah. like such an inherent melancholy underneath all of those like banging pop melodies. Yeah. Know, it's, um, I think that, yeah, that was something definitely we were experimenting with there, I think. Um, and it's just like a really nice poignant end of the record. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like that as well. And um, yeah. And it brings us nicely to the end the entire record um <laughs> yeah i mean just like just overall like you know there's so many different intricate parts to each song um and each part is kind of you know is catchy and great in its own way so even though it's um what 12 songs i feel like it's actually like 60 or 70 different you know great parts that kind of that you only hear a couple of times per you know per playthrough as it were um and you know that and that's why it's always like is always interesting for me to go to go back because it's moving it's just you know moves so quickly and not just in a um in a tempo way and obviously you know there's we've got the quiet bits as well but just structure wise um i feel like it doesn't matter how many times i listen to it i'm I'm never bored it's always it's always interesting my favorite records are like that when i listen back to them and sometimes you you're like oh i've never noticed that before Mm. You know, and I've listened to it a hundred times, you know, and you, I remember that first time I listened to um, In a Bar Under the Sea, that Deus record, when I bought, just bought it and listened to it over and over and over again. And just like, every time I've listened to it, I'd be like, well, what's that? Like, what are they doing there? And it's all these little, little moments that like just do, that, yeah, you maybe in the, when you're just listening to the song and you're immersed in some, you don't notice, but they do something that, grabs your attention without you really knowing it at times mm. uh and i think yeah i think all of all of my favorite bands have always done that i think you know um whether they be the kind of weirder sort of noisier ones or whether they be the more melodic ones i think there's there's always i suppose in in production it's always that thing of like is this thing bettering the song does it need to be here it's like mm. really concentrating on every little corner and every little moment um has to have a purpose essentially or it has to convey the message or it has to add something in a way um and i think often if you if you do that yeah it does they do they do stand up over time i think Um, yeah you know it's 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 difficult for us obviously because we were 
you know, it, I don't go back and listen to it all the time. And as I say, it's like looking at a photograph of yourself when you were younger. You know, you're like, yeah. why did I have that haircut, or why did I, you know, wear those shoes? <laughs> you know, um, and and it's so you know, there's, there's an element of cringing going on when you're listening to it sometimes. But like, it surprises me when I go back to it that like I actually think, okay, yeah, that's a really interesting thing that we did there. Why did we do that, or why did it, or how did, you know, why did he say that, or why did I do that, and and. And yeah, I, I I think it stands up in that way. I, I sort of got past the point of thinking of that record as an albatross, as I did for quite a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I mean, yeah, I can see why. Um, but yeah, even going back listening to it for this, like, and I've listened to it like yeah, like a million times. Um, and yeah, going back and having a closer look at it, yeah, still being able to pick out you know, new, fresh things, um, and all this stuff, um, was actually, you know, really enjoyable. So I really, um, I loved going back and having to give this like a real thorough, you know, listen, really, you know, um, dig into the details as it were. Um, and yeah, it became like a whole new experience, um, in its own way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still, as I said, like it's one of, uh, mine and Dan's, um, favorite records still. Oh, um, to you. this day no it's, uh, i mean thank you and it holds it does hold you know it's 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 it, it's not just like a nostalgic thing either um you know we're not you're not listening to it thinking oh you know i remember when um you know we still listen to it now like my kids listen to it um and you know generally like your body of work but um yeah I always, I know you're saying like it's an albatross, but I do always come back to to hundred broken windows um, all the time, and and as well, like you know, for people out there, as we were saying before, like as well, I really like the B sides as well. I think they, you know, they stand up, um, uh, and it's it's you know, if you've listened to hundred broken windows and you love it, and you've not checked out the B sides, you know, you should do, you can do, like especially with the you've got the um, it's like the on Spotify, you can have the. Mm-hmm you know, the deluxe edition or whatever they call it, um, where they're all, they're all on there, including some of the demo sessions as well. Right. Which is quite interesting to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's it for me. Um, and yeah, I just want to say thanks again, Rod, for coming on and talking about it, especially because it's quite a long, (laughs) it's a very long one. No, it's been, it's been fun. Um, I'm happy to do it and yeah, thanks for taking the time. No, it's, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. And yeah, Dan's going to be um, really jealous. Uh, so <laughs> bugger for him, never mind. Um, but yeah, have a great um, rest of the evening, Rod. And for everyone out there, um, yeah, go check out the album uh, if you haven't already. And thanks for listening. Goodbye. Cheers, bye. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. You can check out this podcast and other podcasts on anewwinter.net, seeing as we're part of a new winter podcast network. If you enjoyed Dan talking about his records, you can go to his YouTube page, which is Dreadful Dan's Discs. All these links are in the description, so you can just click on them from there. Uh, we're on Instagram and Twitter at New Winter. If you enjoyed the show that much, then you can go to our Patreon and make a little donation there, patreon.com slash anewwinter. If you really enjoyed the show, then please leave a positive review on your podcast platform of choice because that would really help us out. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Goodbye.